When is it supposed to click the right chemistry? Sparks flying, energy endlessly. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download with my co-host Mike Davis. What's up, Mike? Hey, buddy. We got a great guest coming in today, but before I introduce who that is, uh, I want to tell you that Leah's here, Matthew's here, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Ash Jr.'s on deck. It's going to be a great show, but the guest for today, his name is Will Cronkite, and he wrote a book, and we're going to talk about that, but who is Will? He owned race cars that my dad drove. It, there's one on this desk here at the studio, and it's a white number 96 Cardinal Tractor. I'm sure if you're an Earnhardt fan, you recognize this car. Well, that's the car that Will owned, and uh, he's got an interesting story about how Dad became the driver for it in 1978. That car and the way Dad competed with that car kind of led to his full-time ride with Rod Osterlin, and then you know, therefore, therefore sent him into you know the rest of his career with with everything he accomplished. So this car and Will had a major influence uh, for Dad. But anyway, reading his book was a lot of fun. Mike, you read it? Yeah. It's a great book. So Dude is a heck of a storyteller, really eccentric, and you're going to love it. So I've been wanting to get him on here for a really long time, and I finally convinced Mike Davis to let us have him on here. Matthew, you had a lunch uh, and spent four hours talking to the guy. Yeah, that wasn't hard at all. He's just an amazing, talented, bright, articulate human being. All right, well, hang on to your seats. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. So um, the uh, the other day I was uh, sitting. <laughs> me and Amy sometimes debate on what should uh, what what might be an open open topic, a good conversation for open topic. This is her idea, not okay. mine. All, All right. right, I brought it up. So a couple of us are married. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Think um, so. Leah's practically. Matthew, pay attention, <laughs> Matthew. I need you on this one. Uh oh. So when you're single, right, and you've got you know you're talking to your buddy Bob. And you're like, hey man, uh, I got my truck, uh, got got the oil changed in my truck the other day. You want to come over to my house, mm-hmm. and we can hang out, right? And so when you get married, did you keep saying my, or did you change it to our? Ooh, so this is the debate you and Amy have. Yes, because sometimes <laughs> I still say my, like my house, my car, my truck, my sure. Well, I mean, my truck is is she's not really complaining about that, but. I sometimes have said my daughter in her presence. Okay. Talking to someone else. It's not false. Isn't it understood though that you have a co-creator in the daughter <laughs> and that like you shouldn't have to be literal? I mean like I think that, that like there's some everything context matters, yeah. but like in that case I think that everyone just naturally assumes it I'm and just, gives you grace. Listen. Unless you're the virgin Mary, everybody assumes that you had a a, a business partner. Sure. <laughs> so I yeah, I hear you 100%. The Amy's argument to that is, so when we first got together, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come to her defense here for a second. So when we first got together, and she, you know, knows nothing about racing, and and she's going to the races with me, she's like, man, how come every time you talk about racing and anything you do, you always it's us, we, it's it's always you never take ownership of an accomplish uh, accomplishment or a milestone or anything and I said well you know you 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 don't want you want your team to know that you look at this as a group right I didn't do it all and and I can't do it without my team and uh, so I've just programmed to saying we 
we did this, we're happy, we're excited. Mm-hmm. When somebody will come up and go, man, you made the playoffs, what do you think? We're excited, right? Right. Not, I'm excited. You know, I, I was just programmed. I made myself never never single myself out and always tried to uh, group in the whole team into the conversation and any time. So I always did that, and that, that kind of would annoy her sometimes because there were moments, I think, when – when the person that was talking to me was speaking specifically about me and how I felt about a certain thing and a certain accomplishment in racing, and I would always say, "Well, we're happy, we're excited, mm-hmm. we 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 we, you know, we're thrilled or whatever." That always she she couldn't understand that, and so she wonders why it was so easy for me to do that. And then when we got married, it wasn't easy for me to transition from mm. my house. We're gonna, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. My, this is, my this, my that. She's like, well, what you, you know, with your racing, everything was we, everything was ours, everything was us. But with your marriage, <laughs> you're still, you still forget that I'm here sometimes. Ooh, See, I, I, yeah. I, oof, that's that's interesting. <laughs> Let me let's unpack this for a second. Because it is it is exactly I, that when she brings she doesn't. I mean, she's not on me on this every day. But so if me and Amy are in a conversation with another couple about coming over for dinner, mm-hmm. right? You guys can come to my house. <laughs> and Amy's sitting there going, and she won't say anything. She's not like that. Okay, right. But later on, she'll go, my house? Really? Yeah. I'm like, right here. And so that's when she's like, I don't understand. You know, for years in racing, everything was a team, me, me. We, it was never me. It was never I. It was we, us, them, you know. And so that that was uh, she's like maybe y'all could have this conversation see what the, see what your um, your this, co-host Mike Davis thinks about it. And, I got an opinion. Yeah, I think it's formulating right now, so <laughs> it, it's not polished. Okay. Yeah. First of all, let's just rule out one thing because the absolute dumbest thing you could do is try to go play that my card in an argument. You don't do that. Like you don't be like it's my house. Right. You're driving my car. Yeah. You do not do that. No. That would be smart. For n- to not do that, yeah. you would be wrong also. Yeah. Because I mean, when you get married, everything you're sharing—that's that's a beautiful part about marriage. You're sharing your life. You're sharing things. That's mm-hmm. the, everything's equal. All right. So I just want to make sure we're ruling that out. A lot of us we can't really relate with you because there's a couple things that we got to remember in context here. One is from the, I guess from about 2003 to 2006 or seven, you literally were fighting for ownership of your name. And your things, like you did not even have that. So, like, I don't think you you could make an argument for if you want to get into the psychology here and go into deep therapy sessions. You could say that your whole life if you never really had anything. God, you got shipped to forty seven different schools. You didn't even have friends really before they were basically taken away from you. So, I could make a good argument that your whole wiring up until forty yeah. has been a fight to. Get ownership and to, you know, and to protect what is yours. And so I don't think you mean anything bad by it. I think that that's probably just some of the wiring. Like you said, you're wired in the race team. All of you race car drivers the same way. Now, do you, so I do, would, you, do you make, do you do this? No, I, I don't think I do this. I was trying to think about that. What if you did do it? Well, I do it. But again, I think that there's a, you know, a, th- there's a, a, a tremendous amount of grace where that is shown and people just know that it's understood. Like if I say my recliner, 
everybody knows that everybody can sit in well, the recliner yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, or now, my, my, you know, my this, but I don't think that everybody's trying to get their stakes in the ground on, on defining what is who's is who in the, in the house. Yeah. But I'm different because see, I think that one is your wire differently Two, I mean, Amy probably, I don't know what Amy's insecurities would be, but if I'm Amy and I'm entered into a marriage of somebody like a public figure, you know everybody sitting there got their eye, but she's under a microscope, mm-hmm. and she, you know, on oh, is she going to try to go and take this or take that? Like, well, you know, how is how is the dynamics of Dale going to change now that he's married? And you've lived a very bachelor life and had a bunch of friends that you really allowed liberties to come and go and walk into the motorhome without knocking. I mean, did, did, it was a free for all. There were no rules really in your life for twenty freaking years. Yeah. And so people would stay on the bus. Well, the dynamics change when you get married. And I'm sure that that's something that probably you should extend a little bit more grace to, to Amy because, yeah, something that maybe just kind of insignificantly just brushed off as like uh, whether you're saying mine or ours. Well, in her life, she's probably had this bit more of a prominent thing for her to have to, you know, settle out, in, you know, um, since day one. Since you guys, you know, fell in love and, and all that stuff. I mean, so like I, I said to you from the beginning, I remember there was some things that were changing with Amy in the picture. And, and you know, you had to make some decisions on, well, this friend or that friend or this person or that person's going to have to get over it. Yeah. And I remember telling you, you won't remember this, but I remembered it. Uh, it's like, listen, everything that you have belongs to Amy now. And that's the way it ought to be. And it is certainly going to be the way your mindset has to be if you're going to last. You know, sure. you can't sit there and draw boundaries right off that you know right on day one like that what's mine is yours i want to share this with you and um and you get as much say so in that uh, so i don't know i guess i'm rambling at this point but the, I, like, I, I do I, think that amy has some we you know, sh- she lives in a different fishbowl to where that probably taps into what might be an insecurity a little bit yes right that's what that does so it triggers this little thing yeah and so uh any th- matthew do you experience this with your a little bit wife? I, I, th- I think it comes down to listening to what you both were saying though is innocence and intent you know like like a lot of times when we say that as husbands and I can only speak as a husband um, I don't think it's like there's any intent there it's more innocence yeah, yeah you know yeah, it's, of, a, of, it's an honest mistake yeah, it's just an honest mistake and it's like you know you could get tripped up over it you know uh, both sides could get tripped o- up over it but yeah i've said it before and i, I was more conscious of it did she, earlier in marriage did she shoot you a look or or say something later no or? erica's never been never, like that yeah. not trying to kiss her butt there but what do no. you think leah um no i can see both sides like when um like when taylor and i got together he had a house i had an apartment eventually he sold his house moved into my apartment and we still it was still like my apartment since then, now we have our house together. You know what I mean? Like, we, yeah. so we like combined our lives, but the whole time it was his house or my apartment. Like, it was never. That's true. It was yeah. never the same. You know, sure. It was always his or mine. Now it's now it's ours. Yeah. And this, like, we don't have any kids. We have a dog, and it's our dog. Yeah. You know, that, that's what <laughs> is it? It is like yeah. I I I got the dog before him but it's definitely like so if he says my dog, dog if he says my dog he you, doesn't 
but if but if he were to yeah, that's what we're trying to find out. If he were, would you have a reaction? Oh, for sure. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> she proves sure. the point. Yeah. yeah. So that's what that's the great that's a great uh, uh, this happens with the dogs quite yeah. a bit because Amy Junebug was Amy's when she lived alone, and I wanted Gus, and so you know there was some ownership. At a point, but now that we're married and together, the and Amy's eyes, Junebug is ours, right? Because I'll be like, you know, I still look at Junebug as Amy's dog. I really do. I can't break from that. I can't. I can't. I love him, and we're we're great friends. But he's not. I don't look at him as my responsibility. I'll take him out. I'll do. I'll I'll, I'll feed him and do those things for him. But I don't look like. I just can't. He's not my dog. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I don't know how to. But Amy bugs the hell out of Amy that I don't look at it as our as Junebug is ours. Well, I no, uh, yeah, I, that would bug me too, actually. Right. Yeah. I I mean we're he is great, and I we, you know I think my actions show so show different. My actions would make you think that man, you know. But man, when I talk about him, it, it's apparent, right, to Amy, like. Wait a minute, no, this ain't this it's not my dog, this is our dog. Isn't it fair to say though that you don't really like you don't really go think through you don't follow your swing all the way when it comes to everybody's, you know, reactions or deep thoughts. But in other words, your intentions are always good and, and if you, you may upset me something, you have no idea that you did it. Right. And then if you did know you did it, you would go change it in a heartbeat and be like, Man, I don't know what you're trying to talk about, but like you said this. You said lost speedways, well, you know, whatever yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. whatever yeah. nonsensical thing that gets mm-hmm. us all riled up and we all got those moments, right? A lot of it could be mood driven. But I, I think that you the you get kind of put into a place sometimes where you dictate a lot of people's reactions and moods just based off of being the boss in this place and the, you know, the public figure that you are. And in, and a lot of times, you know, w- we read you wrong and your intention is no, no way. Like if you're on an airplane and you say zero words to, to anybody, a lot of people will be like, what's wrong with Dale? Yeah. And I'm like, nothing's wrong with Dale. What do you mean? Well, he ain't saying anything to anybody. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's just, yeah. I mean, he, there's nothing wrong with him. He doesn't, he doesn't sit there and chat it up a lot of times. But people will go. I hate small talk. I know, right? Ugh. Yeah, you, you were never real good. You're way better at it than you used to be. Hmm. God, you used to be as painful. We used to go to these <laughs> national. Go- we used to have to go meet with politicians in Washington D.C. This I'll, I'll never forget these. And it's like uh, we go to these like galas, balls, oh, gosh. government like like senators yeah. and stuff with oh, the boy. national guard. I mean, literally having to play politics, right? God, Dale stuck out like a sore thumb. Hated it from the moment he walked in. People would, you know, you'd have their wives come up and just, uh, we want to pay. Dale was like, ah, this is so awkward. I don't like small talk. I don't like it, any of it. You'd play, you'd, you'd get through it. Yeah. Hey, is it also true that, that sometimes we want to transfer ownership of our kids? Like, you, like, <laughs> like, 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 like when they're having a nuclear meltdown over something ridiculous. We do that, yeah. That, like, that's I, and and that's what do you say? Like, She's your daughter. That's your kid. <laughs> hey, when she wants to wear a sweatshirt in July, that's your kid. That's me and Amy don't do that, but we uh, do. Uh, you will. We well, we we don't say we I, we approach it a little bit differently, and we'll be like, I, "That's you right there." Like it's, you know, like when Nicole was born, she looked just like me. Doesn't so much today, a year later, but I, I mean, it was when you looked at her, you saw it. 
And so, but anyways, when they do things, um, me and Amy will be like, uh, that's you. That's definitely you. That's, that's, that's your side coming out. <laughs> because I think I'm sensitive to her concerns of our ownership, right, and responsibility mm. that I don't go, that's your child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I do it all the you time. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, I don't know how that's going to go over. So uh, we, we, we instead say, that's, I see you right there in this little yeah. hissy fit. <laughs> going on? So. Hell, we all got stuff that that uh, gets under our our skin or uh, our nerves that doesn't make sense to most people. So, I, and I, I don't think that's a problem. I think everybody's entitled to one or two pet peeves that just crawl your skin. And uh, you know, I'm sure you got them. Mm-hmm. You know, if Amy's is about the ownership thing or, or mine and ours, that she she gets that. She gets that one. New topic for a open segment in the future. Just the word pep, just pet peeves. Pet oh my peeves, lord, yeah. I could go on for three hours. Just think about that one. Oh, I know, <laughs> man. I got my, I got my. Own. I cannot stand it when my wife we're ordering food and she says, my "I wife. don't want anything," but then she wants to eat half of yours. Oh, yeah. God! I hate I don't it. Never, God, I've never experienced. Oh, go to dinner with my wife. She will not order a meal for her own, and I'm like, and I'll say. I know you're going to sit there and want to eat mine. I don't want anything. I'm not hungry. I know better than this. You are definitely hungry, and you are going to want. I'm not hungry. I don't want anything. And we will go down that road, and there it is. Boom. She's eating a chicken finger. Off my plate. That's not Now bad. you're down to four. That's such a bad thing. It's my pet peeve. I don't like it. I'm not saying everybody's got one. I got to think about it. I don't think I got one. Oh, bull. Hey, sa- 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 save it, man. Think of one. Okay. <laughs> when Matthew nods. Oh well. Freaking a, yeah. I'm, dude, yeah. I'm trying. Do you re- have you noticed that I've been having man. a conscious effort to? Yes, that's, there's been less nodding. Okay, it's hard for me, dude. Yeah. I'm expressive. I think if you didn't wear those, <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think if you didn't wear those big bucket hats, it wouldn't be so noticeable. So but we're a wears, low rider like you. He wears these big, giant, colorful <laughs> big throwback hats, and it's in there going. <laughs> looks like, <laughs> it looks like the mascot at a football game, yeah, you know, bobblehead. <laughs> he does. Yep. See, I just, I, I didn't even have to work for that pet peeve. Nailed it right off the bat. Matthew nodding. Dale can't stand it. We'll stop the show <laughs> to stop, to make him stop nodding. Yeah. picture this it's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work you get into your car and turn on the ac to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible but it doesn't work instead blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face no your car doesn't hate you This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Okay, Mike, let's bring in Will. Let's do it. There he is. <laughs> you brought something? To fit Matthew, you have to deal with him for me. All right. Oh, 
Well, sure. thank you. Yeah. We asked Matthew if, if, if Will had any T-shirts for us. He said, absolutely not. No, no T-shirts. He kept uh, he, you saying he kept it for himself? I'm no. kidding, of course. He didn't. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing so good I can't stand it yeah. today. <laughs> so, Will Cronkite, um, you, uh, you know, we've had this car on this table for a long time, right? And, and I've, I've known who you are uh, for a really long time. been curious. I read your book, and Mike has now read it as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, <laughs> you, you wrote this book, and it's called I Was a NASCAR Redneck, and uh, you're from the north, where were you born? I was born about 25 miles west of Detroit in okay. a little town. I was born in a hospital in Howell, Michigan, but we lived in uh, Brighton, Michigan. And so you've lived a, a pretty interesting life. You've done a lot of different things, uh, been all over the place. And, I mean, I only I only know that after reading the book. And, and uh, you own this car and reading about how you uh, – we're going to talk about all that, how you bought the car and all that. So, And there's a little bit of a story, too, uh, that blew my mind uh, <laughs> about me, and I had no clue. Like, I, I don't have any memories, right? Nobody really does of their childhood before, like, five, four years old, right? And um, to, 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 I didn't know, you know, I don't, I don't know how much I spent time with Dad when I was two, three, four, Dad and Mom going through a divorce and all that. And so uh, to hear that little story, you'll have no idea how cool that was for mm, me. I'm glad. Um, so we'll dive into that too. But um, anyways, let's talk about, so you're born up in Michigan. What was your connection to racing? What was the, where did you first like get the bug? What was the first thing that you saw? Um, I didn't do much racing at all in Michigan. As a youngster, we moved to uh, Middletown, Ohio. And I got involved with go-karts. Why did y'all move? Um, my dad got a job. What's your dad's job? He was an electrical engineer. Yeah. He, um, I, I was pretty proud of my dad. I miss my dad, too. Uh, I spent time with him, but he didn't go to my sport events. I played a little football and a little basketball, and I sort of sucked, so I probably wouldn't have gone <laughs> anyway. But um, but we, it was a, we had a complete family, and he got a job down in Middletown, Ohio. So we moved down there, and then I found out about go-karts. And I got into the go-karts pretty deep. How did that happen? I guess I don't know how I got inst- – how I got – I know how I bought the first one. I don't know what enthused me yeah. to do that. But what got me into racing was Dad said, you can't be screwing around in the yard digging up the dirt. We need to take you to a track. Mm. And when we went to the track, I found out you could race. Well, that was it. I mean, that – I can run against that guy or I can make go faster than that what guy. What kind of racetrack? It was, a, it was kind of a kidney-shaped – Road course, not a, it wasn't an oval, so it was going right and left. And that was when I first started uh, trying to go faster than somebody else. We used to wear leather, so I, and it was the motor was to my right, so I put one of those ladies' perfume squirters inside my driver's uniform with a hole in that, in the back of that right arm. And if I needed to get by somebody, if I squeezed my arm, that thing would atomize water out right in, right in front of the carburetor. So I got a little <laughs> oxygen, a little water. Just <laughs> enough to you get by and yeah. drive Whoa. normal. And how old are you when you're doing this? You, 12 or 13. You're years. innovating at 12 or 13 years old. You, you this, you're going to make a career out of innovation here, and you're doing it with a perfume bottle. 
I guess that's right. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> didn't think about it like that. I mean, man, this is the first chapter. This 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 would be my first chapter of the book. But the uh, no, wait a second. What were you doing during your dad's lawn that made him say go to a racetrack? D- driving the go kart and spinning, so you were you were just tearing and, up the grass. Yes. Yeah, I'd want you off the lawn pretty too. pretty severely. Yeah. <laughs> That that's something like when you get a go kart and a yard cart, there's got to be a dedicated spot for that, or you could get yourself in big trouble. Yeah, he pointed that out to me. <laughs> <laughs> he told you to get out, get off my lawn. <laughs> so, um, how you said you got heavy into the go karts? How heavy? Um, I won enough trophies one year. I traded them in for a free pass to race at that track the next year, and then I we I won the state championship with that little. I wish I got West Bend motor. Yeah, and I, I figured out how to stuff the crankcase, which was sort of common. But then I took what do you mean stuff it? Fill the crankcase. You know, you, the piston comes down, it sucks gas in, puts it in the crankcase, and then when the piston comes down, pushes it back up the side port. So the piston pulls in the same amount, but if you put crap inside the crankcase, it compresses that. So when the you know piston what comes down, what kind of crap? Well, they they actually made a port for it, but I epoxied more to make it thicker and then i took elbows from electrical conduit and ran two extra ports up the side so i could run the same intake port rise port position but then i put these two round ports in that started it it's like advancing the cam so when that piston came down it pushed up through the three side ports and those two new ports that i put in so i <laughs> how do you know all this I know, that's kid? what i'm thinking well you know you just no, that's where the gas goes, and if you want more, you just make a you just made it more place. Yeah, just. Oh, were, were you? Uh, I mean, were you good in school? Were you a good student? Were you smart? I was, yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> well, my, my grades it, were about medium, but okay. I th- that's a, that's you passed. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. But so yeah. you're you're sitting here figuring out how uh, you know how to t- tune up this race car. So it's just common sense. Well, no teachers ever ask me them questions. <laughs> no. Yeah. Would you, <laughs> you'd have made all A's if you had, right? Yeah. All right. Did your dad teach you this? No, he was. No, he was electrical engineer. So you just kind of trial and error, tear, yeah, yeah. pulling it apart, understanding how yeah, it works, yeah. fixing it, repairing it, and your and your mind starts taking off, and you you got a creative mind. Oh, that allowed yeah, you prob- to, yeah, prob- allowed you to sort of see these things and and develop develop this engine and make it better. So you won a state championship. Blew the living crap out of that motor about ten feet away from the checkered flag. The Biggest part of that motor was a spark plug. <laughs> oh, my God. It did. Them little ports I put in when that thing blew up, it split the case and blew the head off. It was a, but you won the state championship. It was only by about six feet. I mean, I, it blew up and it was like skidded across the finish yeah. line. But. <laughs> so, so you're, are you, you know, I didn't know you had done any driving. So this is kind of a surprise to me to hear that. You'd, I, you actually drove. I, I could road race. I raced sports cars, and I was really into road racing. Yeah. But I get motion sickness pretty easily, so oval track racing wasn't – I didn't want to try it because I didn't want to puke in front of everybody. <laughs> so how did you not get sick in a road race car? That seems like that's the one that makes you sick. Right, no, just, just just right and left, yeah. right and left. It just, just crap builds up in one side of my brain or something. I don't. I mean, I, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. So you went from go-karts to sports cars? I had a little Triumph that I raced, just like Jim Connor stuff yeah. they put up. What are you doing for a living? Now? No, then. Oh. Um, so you're right, ra- you know. You no, race- I, I, when I started the go I was still in college when I was doing the go-karts, and then I had a job where I was um, a, a, a draftsman. 
I worked for a steel company, and they'd uh, uh, somebody wanted to put up a building like yours or a shopping center, we'd get the steel structural drawings, and it was my job to make a list of all those steel pieces. And then if we got that job, I was responsible for making the drawings. And so how so how did you get to how did you get to IndyCar? That that was the very first thing I did in racing. There's there's a section in that book that's not a humorous section of the book and I at, at some point right before Christmas in sixty uh, nine I I lost my wife and a couple of kids in uh, a couple of girls in a car wreck and I wanted to do something else. I didn't want to live there. I didn't want to do that same job because I was at that job when they notified me. I just gotcha. didn't, didn't want to. You wanted there. to change your entire life. I, I just something different. Yes, sir. Yes. So I, I, I wrote in the book, I just made a list of, of uh, the things I thought I was good at, a list of things that people told me I was good at. And then I took those two lists and made a third list. And it just was competitive, trying to use your brain a little bit and, and mechanical. Sure. So I started looking for a job kind of as just as a mechanic in, on race cars. Do you, do you, so I don't want to dive too deep into that event in your life, but how, when you look back today, how did, t- how did you get through that? How, how, how did you p- persevere? In hindsight, I can tell you, I, I was sharing with Matthew yesterday, I worked 13 years and six months and never had a day off. So, after that? So I was busy. I, I, after the funeral crap, I, I looked for a job, and I, I got hired by a guy named Howard Milliken over in uh, Indiana, just west of uh, Indianapolis. And I went over there in April, and I just was a gopher. Yeah. Learned to rivet and do just, just bolt together stuff and help him, no fabrication, yeah. just, a, just a, a free helper guy. And then we went to Indianapolis and was Jigger Sirois was the driver of the last turbine car to ever attempt qualifying. And I, I was working on his car. And Rick Muther was the other guy. And he actually finished the race in eighth or something on the lead lap. That, that car went pretty well. But Jigger's car didn't. Um, so after that, I, I found a job in, um, at Ray Nichols in Griffith, Indiana. Ray Nichols? When David Pearson was up there driving Pontiac. Really? So you... So after this happens to you, you change your whole life. You went and just put yourself to work. You went to IndyCar. You moved to Indiana. No, I didn't move. I was, oh. I was still living. When the accident occurred, she was actually killed on the last trip we were going to make to a new piece of farm property that uh-huh. we bought. Where? So, so in, in Hamilton, Ohio. We okay. were living okay. in Lebanon, Ohio. Okay. The accident was in Lebanon, Ohio, but we were moving to Hamilton, Ohio, and that's when she got killed. Sure. And so, so I lived there, and I'd go to Indianapolis, and because I was by myself, you know, if that house stayed empty for a couple of weeks or something, it just it wasn't anything to it. And then, but when I when I went to Indianapolis to uh, Ray Nichols, I had sold. By then, I had sold, sold my your property, property, so I was gone from the area. So, what was you you had some IndyCar experience? You worked in IndyCar, and then you, you end up in stock cars. What? What decided your fate between those two? Like, how did you not? There wasn't a big change. The deal at Indy was over when Indy was over. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to pay me, and I didn't want to stay in Indiana okay. working for free. Right. So I just I, I went back home and worked out of my shop for a little bit. Doing I, what? Uh, I actually f- fixed a sprint car for a guy. Just just piddling. Well, yeah, just R- yeah, welding r- steel roll messing bars with and, race cars. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you working a job? 
a no, nine to five at this point? No. no so not, you've left that no. behind, and you're mentally you're thinking racing's it. I want to. I want I'm, my mind's. In, I, right then, I was just in. I just wanted to be in my shop, building stuff and making stuff. I was. I had a car at that time, the Manta, I think, and it was a car, a fiberglass car, a kit car. It, I bought the kit chassis. It was a mid-engine small-block Chevy with Corvair transaxle and front suspension. And, you know, so I was working on that. What was it for? That was I was going to drive it, but it was where it's a, it could it was built to be a street car. Okay, um, and then I carried that with me to uh, Joe Frazone's and then up to Cecil Gordon. Joe Frazone, yeah, and Crash Factory, Minnesota yeah. Crash Factory. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So all right, keep going. I know all these names. This is great. Okay, so I, I'm working up at Cecil's Gordon's. Doing in, what? In horse. I was a I was actually the crew chief by then. I I, I worked for Benny Parsons. <laughs> wait, for wait, wait. So yeah, you got to back up. Yeah, we got to back up. So. <laughs> When I, okay, I, I'm working up at Nichols Engineering. Right. Doing what? Well, I'm, I'm actually in the motor room building a, um, a flow bench for Harley-Davidson out of a big old oil field valve. Okay. A tulip to point. So you for could, a Harley-Davidson? Yeah. I built, Not- I built a, the fixture that for a, a motorcycle frame that won Indy that, or Daytona that year. I, don't, I didn't design anything. I sure. just built it. So you worked on the motor. You working on things and and I, not nice, not NASCAR stuff. Not I was NASCAR. in a NASCAR stuff, but in a NASCAR shop. But I was doing engine work for Harley Davidson and not engine work. I was building stuff sure. for Harley Davidson. I was kind of the guy in the shop that okay. did his Harley work. Are you making money? Yeah, yeah, but that's a job, and, and I'm being paid. Yes, sir. And Ronald Purrier uh, was up there, and he was having some outs with the guys building the motors. Didn't agree with how they were doing and was getting frustrated so he went to work for benny parsons and he wanted to know if i would like to go with him and i i mean i i was i didn't know anybody anywhere and here was a chance to go where i thought was warmer weather yeah so i went down in ellerby north carolina so you're going to work for benny parsons on the 72 car yes sir um dewitt's race car that most of 72 i think i was there the whole year for 72 and bill and he i mean uh that's like uh benny's just just getting into it. He ain't he hadn't been in Cup Series. He's running ARCA cars in That's Detroit correct. and so yeah. forth. So he's just in the Cup Series for a couple of years. He does win the championship in 73. Um, so that was your first job in NASCAR. Yes, sir, where, where I was actually 72. doing work on the race car and changing tires. All right. So what was that like for you? Um, you've made this massive – you know, your life's changed quite a bit in, in, in the last few years, but now you're down in North Carolina uh, working on a stock car travel into the racetrack i imagine uh what's i mean the 70s seem like a pretty amazing awesome time uh were they as fun as they they seem in, in hindsight there might have been some fun involved at the time i don't remember that <laughs> um, we we worked one of the things I, I have a great mom and i was this place i was working at at uh, engineering work i was making 350 dollars a week uh-huh. i went to work for benny parsons Mr. DeWitt thought I was worth $100 a week. And, oh, Lord. And, well, you know, it, yeah. it was better than free at Indies. Yeah. So I, I took that job, and I there were times when we worked at least 100 hours a week. Sure. I was working, you know, a, a dollar. A an dollar hour. an hour. And I, I, I was a little <laughs> embarrassed about that, but I didn't have, I'll just tell you the truth, I didn't have, I didn't have time. You know, you just, you just work, and then you sleep, and then you work, and then you sleep. It but just, work was pretty fun. Well, it was. I liked what I was doing, right. so it wasn't miserable. Right. It just was hard, intense. Yeah. Who's the crew chief? Uh, Travis. Carter. Travis Carter. How was he to work with? I like Travis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like Travis a lot. 
Travis taught me a lot of stuff. I, I, my whole history has been, I've worked for some really good people. They took care of me, taught me stuff. I'm, I'm pretty appreciative of all the people that I've learned from in NASCAR. Let me give you one. Well, go back to Nichols for a second. Chris Vallow. A spot, uh, was, was, who was, tell everybody who Chris Vallow was. I'm afraid to. <laughs> <laughs> and why would you be afraid to? Well, I, I, I think he was, is the word connected? <laughs> connected is a word. That's one way to put it, yeah. Is that as far as you want to go as far as uh, uh, Chris Vallow? I, I'd be happy to, yes. <laughs> I'd be happy to tell you some of those things, you know. T- tell happened. me what happened with Chris Vallow. Yeah, t- t- tell me the story about the diamonds. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm working in this back room of the engine department. I have a window on this side, on the right side of where I was working. And when they'd get the car ready to go to a race, they'd bring in their big truck with a trailer and load the car on it. And when they were done loading the car, the trailer would be just in front of my window. And then and then Chris Vallow would come in and then a, a long Lincoln, and they'd close both doors to that bay through the shop. And the driver would get out and go around, open the door for Mr. Vallow. He'd go up and talk along the side between the wall and the race truck with uh, Ray Nichols. And Chris would, Mr. Vallow would turn around and wiggle his hands like that. And this driver would be right outside my window. And we never talked, but we waved and, you know, say hello and stuff. He'd go to the trunk of this car and he'd open, I guess this is okay. He'd open up this trunk of this car and there were boxes of lettuce in there <laughs> but when he lifted the lid you know it was it was green but it wasn't lettuce <laughs> and he was he was pulling out stacks of money you know like an inch thick not like not like i get at the bank <laughs> <laughs> not that one dollar an hour no you're and, he'd, and he'd take that he'd pull that thing open and when the trunk was open he'd take two or three of them and set them on the edge of the trunk and then to this day i don't understand how i did this but he'd take another one of them wads of money Take it up to his ear and go. Brrr. He'd separate that, put it with it, and give it to them. It was like he he, he could count he could it. He could it. count it by yeah. his ear. I mean, I or or maybe he only had to get close. I don't know. Man, but they do that, and this went on for a number of times. And then finally, the motor stayed together, and David won the pole. I think at Michigan. So Mr. Vallow comes in the engine room and he talks to Minnie and uh, Franz and told Minnie to clear off the top part of his toolbox. The, the little shelf that sticks out off everybody's box. And he cleaned it off, and then he says to this, his driver, he says, let me have that bag. And he reached in his left pocket, and he says, no, the other one. So he reached in this bag, <laughs> pulled it out, tipped it up, and it was a pile of diamonds. And he asked Minnie, he said, you know, I don't know, get you three or four of them. I'm watching from back in the motor room, and Franz gets one, the other guys get some, Ron Purrier gets some. And, and this driver just turned around and said, well, what about that guy back there? You know, Chris is out of there, so they pulled me up there, and I got, he said, pick three of them. I just, you know, looked around, tried to get the three biggest ones I could, <laughs> you know. And That's sort of terrifying. It gets worse, yeah. And it was, that part was fine. I was, I was, took those things to the heart, to the pawn shop, um, <laughs> probably three days later, and this would have been 1971 or two. I got $1,200. That's a, yeah. That, I'd take $1,200 now. Yeah, I would too. So that, that, but that was the terrifying part. I mean, well, not not taking the diamond. <laughs> no, no, the diamond was. I, there's there's more to that story that I spent time in jail. Was that what that where you were? Yeah. Oh, I yeah, mean, we like that. a good jail story. <laughs> <laughs> I I've just lost my family, and I'm in Griffith, Indiana, working at Ray Nichols, and I'm working at night in this back room by myself, 
and I'm the only one there at night because, you know, nobody else has to work. But I just got nothing else to do. I just, you know, I got nothing else to do. So I'm working on this float bench. And I've been hearing rumors around there that it, people were kind of losing some tools. I, you know, didn't think about it. Nobody was accusing anybody of anything. But then I'm, I'm working back in this back of the engine room. And to get into Ray's shop, you had to punch a keypad, and there's a sound that says, like, Camp Town Radies, sing this song. <laughs> and so you could, you could hear, you know, somebody came in, yeah. they just they didn't own a key. They had to make that noise that you the, could hear. In the the shop. little jingle, yeah. So I look back, and here comes this real odd character who we'd been working around, and he'd scare the crap out of you. They had a big men's room, and we'd go in there sometimes, and it looked like he, this guy was hanging himself, but he had the, a towel around the back of his neck, and he just was stretching his back. But when you first look at it, it just scares the crap out of He's really, a, I thought, a creepy guy. And it's him. So I'm thinking, oh, man, he takes a, a handful of screwdrivers out of my, the only friend that I'd met there at the time. And uh, I can say, oh, man, that's how, that, there's tools are getting stolen. This is how they're being stolen. Mm-hmm. There's going to be somebody knows I'm working here at night. I can't let this go. I'm, if mm-hmm. I don't do something, it's going to look like it's me. But I didn't impress him, so he was... I asked him what he was doing. He said he's changing a battery, and I said, you know, it takes six screwdrivers to change the batteries. <laughs> so he's he's all over him. And he's pretty, he's pretty much kicking my butt to tell you the truth. He knocked me down. Y'all get in a fight. Here we go. You're rolling. Mostly over. him. Yeah. Oh, you, you you're losing big time. Okay. And uh, I'm on the ground, and at the bottom of this toolbox, I remembered that this friend that I'd made had made I had made him a hammer out of three-inch diameter cold oil about five inches long, and it had a 12-inch long piece of one-inch round rod welded to it. It was just a crude hammer. But it was, we used it to put behind the shocks and hit it with another hammer to knock that taper loose. Yeah. And I reached in that toolbox, pulled out that drawer, and took that hammer and turned around and hit that boy on the foot. And he commenced to not hit me anymore. <laughs> so you're on the ground getting pummeled. You know where this hammer is. It just happens to be you're getting pummeled in the same area, and you remember where the where the hammer is. You took one good whack at him, and that was it. Only took one. It only took one. He dropped flat. <laughs> All right. Then what happened? Well, he he started bleeding really bad. It severed his big toe and popped it out the end of his tennis shoe. Eesh. It was it was a mess. Damn. It was a mess. You got him a good one. Well, <laughs> and that and that well that but that that splattered me with blood and stuff. Yeah. So I go in this men's room and clean up, and when I come out, he's crying. Man, you gotta, you gotta help me here. And I, you know, I told him to. I questioned his heritage pretty strong, and said, "I ain't messing with you." But he was, he was bleeding bad. So I had to call the ambulance. And so now you're helping him. Well, now I, you're his well, best friend. You, you got. To. I'm not his best friend. I. I, I hey, you're the only friend he's got at that moment. If he, if he survives till morning, I'm in trouble. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm, I call the ambulance, and of course they call the cops and. He's the hit-er, and I'm the hit-e, so there I go. They took me to jail. Wait, but you're the hit-e. You're not – how are you going to jail for that? Well, I'm the one that hit that guy with a hammer. Yeah, you're the hitter. Well, but but you called the cops. No, I didn't call nobody. Oh. The ambulance people called the cops. Oh, but who called the ambulance? I did. Well, okay, so you are a little – I mean, you did help the, the situation, but you got arrested. Well, because I was, the, I guess, the aggressor <laughs> person, I guess. I he didn't really explain too much to me. So what happens? Well, so I go to, I go to, I'm going to this jail. Yeah. And I'm in my work uniform, and I'm, I got a lot of, some blood on me. And I get in there, and then people, I'm in a cell with maybe eight or nine other guys. And again, I'm, I was a lot scrawnier back then than I am now. 
I was, I was intimidated. I thought I was in jail in Chicago, Illinois, and I didn't want no part of that. I was actually in Gary, Indiana, but I thought I was in jail in Chicago. I was, I don't know, still. I, I was intimidated. Yeah. And about three o'clock in the morning, I hear this sound says, you got a Cronkerdite in here? <laughs> Cronkerdite. So I'm thinking, you know, whoever that is, I don't know if it's me thereafter. And if it is, they don't know me real well. Right. Um, and I heard him say, the, the, somebody said, you want me to go get him? And he says, no, give me the keys. I'll go get him. So this guy comes walking home, and he comes up to this door to the cell. All them other guys go to the back of the room. All them guys know who that guy is. Oh. So now I'm, now I'm terrified. <laughs> I don't know if that guy I whacked was his brother or something, but it was the driver of the car. It was, it was the guy that counted the money. Yeah. So I figured, well, okay. He knows you. I think we're, I think we're okay. Yeah. Wow. But I was kind of worried maybe that guy was his friend or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So anyway, he, he takes us to his place. I'm still in these buddy clothes, and he gets home, tells his wife to fix me breakfast, and they let me take a shower, but I had to put them old clothes back on. He says, come on, we got to go downtown. We go get in his car again. We go just like in the movies. We drive up between these two real tall buildings up an alley, you know, with them big trash cans under there, and I am petrified completely now. I just, I don't want no part of it. He knocks on the door, and this little guy comes out, and it's the back room of a high-end men's store. And we go in there, and that guy takes really fancy clothes and cuts them all up to make them look like my uniform. <laughs> you know, fixes my pants, and yeah. tailors them, and tailors puts my them. uniform on, cuts the buttons off the collars, and puts my uniform, my patches on that shirt. And we go back to go back to the shop about seven thirty in the morning. And when I get out, I said, "You know, thanks for everything." And he said, "Hey, this never happened." Mm. Yeah, okay. So I go in. Mister Nichols is up on a little like at the top of a stair, landing just outside the door to his office, and he just looked at me, nodded his head like that, and then like that, told me to go to work. So you went back to work? Boy, that's one. That's that, that's a what crazy happened, story. What happened to the guy whose toes got smashed? Never saw him again. <laughs> I guarantee When it. I got back in, the toolbox was put up, the blood was all cleared up, nobody knew nothing. Nobody ever asked me nothing either. Dang. And, and then about 10 years after that, I heard that they found that guy in the Fox River. No, whoa, 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 not, whoa, whoa. no, no, the the guy that helped me. The guy that helped me. The driver. Yeah. Rocket Found him in the Fox yeah, River. Yeah. Big boots. He had some concrete feet shoes? I don't know that, but he <laughs> I, I I I believe the person that told me because he knew he knew some other stuff. My goodness. Now I'm scared. Yeah. Are we the first person to ask about this since this uh, incident happened? We're, we're, yeah, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> Dale. My name's Dale. No, 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 no. <laughs> Golly. Holy moly. It was a long time before I was willing to share that story. Yeah. Well, so, thank you for sharing it with us, I think. Maybe, <laughs> I, maybe, I, maybe I'm not thankful. <laughs> maybe you could have just said, you don't want to ask that, move along to, to Benny Parsons. Yeah. <laughs> Dale, let's take a break for a minute and tell you about a great partner of ours. These guys were a great resource for Lost Speedway Season 2 and someone we always look forward to getting some more racing information. Yeah, that's right. Everyone knows I've... Love to learn about the history of the sport. Aside from our Lost Speedways research, I like digging deep and finding stories and have a huge passion for NASCAR and racing in general. And that's because, like many of you listening, I'm a race fan at heart. Nobody covers all the forms of racing as well as speed sport. Speed sport, man. They go back with big time. Chris Economac. Yeah. And it's still around today. It's that's crazy. crazy. 
Yeah, yeah. Our buddy Ralph Shaheen does a great job he does. Beachport. From Daytona to Indy, Monaco to Knoxville since 1934. 1934. Speed Sport has been telling the story of racing. That's 87 years, and they're truly an American motorsports authority on racing. And I trust Speed Sport to tell me the real story, and you can too. Check them out at speedsport.com. So you worked with Benny in 72, uh, but you kind of bounced around different people. You helped uh, Donnie Allison. Yep. I went from Joe Frizzone's, I mean, from. Benny Parsons to Joe Frazone. So when you work with Joe, so Joe, everybody, uh, is most famous for, uh, he. well, he's famous for a lot of things, but he once missed the race at Charlotte. Sure. He qualified uh, or failed to qualify for the Charlotte race and took a uh, took a sledgehammer to the to the hood of his Dodge, like a 74 Dodge or something. Pontiac. I think it was a Pontiac. Was it yeah. a Pontiac? Really? So he beat this car to death. Were you around for that? Did no, sir. That? No, I didn't know. But why? What, what kind of guy was Joe if he's the kind of guy that could take a hammer to his car and destroy it right there well, in front he, of everybody in the garage? He, he was funding his own operation, so he wasn't, he could, he wasn't concerned with sponsorship right? or you know, anything <laughs> well, like that. How was he able to fund his stuff? He, his, he and his dad owned a concrete company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, he, he was, was kind of a wild guy, right? He was, but you know, he was he was always nice to us. He was he was tough. I write in a story at Talladega when I was working for him. This would have been seventy three, I guess. They started sixty eight cars at Talladega, and in about the ninth lap, Ramos crash. Yeah, huh? Ramos thought lost a motor. I think in Junie Dunleavy's car, and he spun in the ground into the infield, and there was no grass, so a lot of dirt, just dust and everything, and. We had radio, so I called Joe. I said, you know, you okay? And I didn't hear from him. I called him, you okay? And I said, so I figure he's in the wreck. And he comes around, and then I'm still not hearing from him, and I just stand around, don't know what to do. And uh, pretty soon I hear him key the mic, and he says, that effing driver, I don't want to say that driver's name, just backed into me. And somebody had missed that wreck the first time, went all the way around the racetrack and spun and hit Joe. Oh, oh he wow. was madder. Oh, yeah. Well, so was I. Of course, yeah. So he says, we're going to need a windshield. Get a windshield ready. And we had one. So common practice, you come in, take it out, go a lap, and come back and put it in. And We come in, we took it out. I'm, I'm changing the driver's side. And when he leaves, so something's just not sitting right with me. So I come and say, Joe, what kind, of hel- what kind of uniform you got on? He says, it's my Union 76 uniform. And I said, are you hurt? He, he just didn't say nothing. He always said, yeah. He said, shut up. He comes back around. We go to put that windshield in there. I can see that much of the bone on this arm. Ooh. He's got a nasty, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I can see four or five inches of that bone right there on his arm. Hey, I said, Joe, you're hurt. He says, ah, don't worry about it. Put the windshield in. I said, then what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to tape up my arm, tape my hand to the steering wheel. And I said, I ain't going to do it. You can't, you know, you can't, you can't yeah. do it. And uh, so he says, you work for me. If you don't fix that, I'm going to come out there and kick your butt. And he's bigger than me, so I'm not enthused about that happening. But I ain't fixing his arms, so I raised the hood. And I wish I hadn't done it, but I pulled that coil wire out. It just <laughs> ate it ate me up. But I just I didn't want to have there any any discussion about him driving off. Sure. You know, just driving off on his own. So he comes out of the car. I I wisely head to the infield care center, and he passes out before we get there. Oh, we lost blood. Good. That is tough. They, oh, and then since after that. He was sharing with me, he was trying to mount some sort of a truck tire and had 52 stitches in his right arm. Jeez. And we, 
Yeah, I'm, I'll pass on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that's Joe Frazan in, in a nutshell. Why did he take a sledgehammer to his Pontiac? What was the he reason was for that? He, missed, Just, he went out, failed to qualify. His car was too slow. He came came in, parked it in the garage, <laughs> and beat the hell out of it. His quote in the papers, <laughs> I have it prepped for you guys, was uh, it uh, was not a fit of anger or rage. I did it simply to signify the end of the Pontiac era. I feel I have the right to put it in the grave any way I want to. Oh. He, he was unhappy with the Pontiac part of it. I do remember <laughs> that. Well, all right. So you worked with Joe for 70, in 73, then what? I uh, went to work for Cecil Gordon, and then I was at well, – How was that? Because Cecil becomes a, a member of RCR, worked on Dad's teams yes, in the yes, 80s. Sir. Um, so I know Cecil well. So how was work? Cecil was an independent driver yes, at the sir. time in the seventy in seventy four. How was working with him? It was it was fun. It, it was fun. He would he'd work us hard, but he played hard. He got us put in jail one time at Daytona. How? Well, sort of, sort of. I guess. We were just sitting at a hotel. You, so you know him. He's a he's a practical joker. And back in them days, the crew rides with the crew chief or the car owner. You don't have separate cars. So you eat wherever they go and stop wherever they go. But we went to a Holiday Inn. In Daytona Beach, and uh, the service was slow, and he's just kidding. I mean, we know him. He just was kidding around. He says, "If I don't, if you don't get me that dinner here on time," he says, "I think I'll just burn this place." He just, we just was screwing around. Well, about six or eight minutes later, here come the fire department and the cops, and we, we went downtown. We didn't get incarcerated sure. or nothing, but man just wants a dinner on time. What's what's the problem with that, right? Well, he. <laughs> we, I, I, we 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 had nothing. We just were sitting there, just goofing around. But somebody at the hotel took that serious. Yeah, well, you say you got a guy saying he's going to burn it down. I guess you got to yeah. take it serious. You don't want to know if he's kidding later. We probably didn't look like a pile of upstanding citizens either. You don't think so? <laughs> probably not. The optics were a little uh, <laughs> yeah, not in your favor. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> so after working with Cecil, where'd you end up? That's when I went to Donnie's. Yeah. Donnie Allison. Yes, yeah, sir. That that's the best. That, that, that's the most I learned. It was the hardest I worked. It's the most productive mental part of my career. I had learned a lot from Donnie. I, Donnie and I used to butt heads a little bit, never, never anything physical, never anything ugly. He never disrespected me. But he was very quick to walk up and put that finger in my chest and say, let me tell you one thing. And I listened. I mean, he... I, I used when I first went to work for him. I brought a box of books. I'd read at that time fifty-two books. I was a prolific reader of all suspension stuff, and I thought I'm going to impress Donnie with how much knowledge I have because I brought my box of books. <laughs> I said, "Where do you want me to put these books?" And he says, "Are they important?" And he, I said, "Yeah, these are my chassis books." He says, "Well, put them over there behind the air compressor and set that case of oil on them." <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that was that was the last we had of, where they of, of discussion of reading material. But. Yeah, I, I won't. I, so you're working. So I, I just want to clear this up. You're at Die Guard Racing in Florida. No, we're in Hueytown. At Hueytown, this point. yes, sir. In you're his, working at his shop. Yes, sir. Okay, what were you working on? Just his race cars. He I'm had not, some his own personal yes, short track stuff. Yes. No, they were Die Guard at that. Oh, time. Oh, they were Die Guard. They were Die Guard, but they were Donnie had committed his entire operation to Die Guard. To Die so Guard. All the stuff that was Donnie's is now. Die guards, okay. and we're all working for die guards. Who's working there with you? I only remember Mario Rossi. Um, what happened to Mario? Boy, if He's I knew, missing. I, yeah, didn't he? Uh, yeah, and I, I, R- R- Rossi was very instrumental in my education as well. I, yeah. I'd like to, I'd like an opportunity to thank him. In hindsight, I've, I've had a couple of people really good to me. 
What happened to him? To who? Mario. Mario. If I knew, I sure wouldn't tell you after I told you that Valo <laughs> story. Yeah. It had to be worse I, than that. I, I believe you. But he I, came up missing, right? Like, that's the thing, right? The, the, the plane crash that they, the plane that he crashed in, I've been told, they, they, they thought it was totally, you know, it, he got killed in a plane wreck. But there's, his boys told me that that plane had been sold twice since that wreck. So that's, and I guess I don't know. Yeah, what I'm supposed to be talking about. But. <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to be asking about. To be honest with you, there's what a lot mean? of que- because the, well, the, the plane just, still I, exists. No, I just know what? that the yeah, plane still his, exists. His son Billy plane just still says, exists. That's a fact. So, so the plane didn't right? crash. Fact. The plane did uh, not crash. See, I didn't know that either. Fact. Okay, there you go. But I know that. No, that so, but that's all. That's so everything. Clear this up. Like Mario yeah. Rossi was a car owner mechanic in NASCAR back in the '70s, and he just disappeared. And there's no real. Uh, it's unsolved, I suppose, as to what happened to him. His, his boy Billy and I have spent some time talking, and he said that they were adamant about trying to find out what happened to their dad, and they were talking to congressmen and sure. F and senators and that sort of stuff. And apparently, they got some sort of a face-to-face confrontation where somebody just says, "You just better shut up and sit down." Yeah. Good enough. A congressman said that. I, to, no, I don't no. know who it was. Or somebody. I, I, if, somebody. If, if you're asking me, I'm going to tell you he's an FBI guy. It was a. I gotcha. It wasn't a senator. Somebody. Or but somebody yeah. just said, "You just better leave us alone." Leave us alone, man. So Oof. you're working with Rossi and and Donnie in Alabama on the '88 Die Guard. Die Guards are kind of a new team at this particular time, but they're good. I mean, they ran fast. Uh, almost won Daytona. Uh, I think the 500. Yes, sir. In, in 1975, the car we built sat on the pole for the 500 and for the Firecracker 400. Right. And That's almost, what got me started on my little book with that engine for that. Mm. What Rick. was it about that car and that engine? I've asked Donnie about that and the people in Digar, at um, Donnie's shop in, Di- in Hueytown built that particular car. And I wish I could think of the name of the man because he just – he did the slick body work. I mean, mm-hmm. it was. It was a nice, it was a nice slick car. And then we had done some testing before we painted it. We got that new Laguna nose, and we found, we were testing, and we were deforming the center section of the hood. So we were tilting that nose back and forth, and, and, and I kind of figured out that if you, were, if you tilted it m- more straight up, the more straight you tilted that thing up, that little indentation in the hood moved to the back mm-hmm. so i stood it up we stood it up until it that high pressure area was at the base of the windshield that's pretty cool that's and, clever yeah hey but you, if we'd had a stout hood we wouldn't have learned that go back to donnie real quick yeah you worked with donnie didn't you go there for a little bit or where, how did his you sons. work oh his sons yeah so his sons donnie's boys kenny allison and ronald donald ronald they, twins yeah, the twins, they were solely the manufacturer for Legends cars, for Legends racing. That's right. And when I needed a job one summer, uh, they put me, uh, they employed me. Okay. So, so I, I'd see Donnie over there some. But you it, would? Yeah. Donnie strikes me, and the nicest way I could say this is hard to work with. Am I wrong? I didn't find that at all. But you did butt heads. He was, he was, well, he was, he was demanding, and it just took me a while to figure out the old boy knew what he wanted. Just quit screwing with him. I mean, he yeah. just that's do what he asks because he's he's not fishing. He, he knows what he wants, and that was when the light went on for me. It, it dawned on me one day. He was talking to some people who we were sitting at the table, and 
he and the original Alabama gang, there were years where they ran 300 races a year. You, you can't screw with a guy's brain that's raced like that. He's got to, you know, he, no matter who he is, he's picked up something. Yeah. And it, when, I, when that dawned on me, I quit arguing with him. I said, you know, okay, why? And what, what Donnie was good for me was, was I like to read, I like to make drawings. And, and so I knew the words, you know, so I, I knew what loose and push were. But Donnie made it be real to me like you like what you would think you know what i think from a piece of paper or a book is different than what a guy feels you know when he's got his foot on the gas or you know just different stuff and donnie was very good for me in in making my book knowledge be real information mm. is it a simple answer on how he did that like how would he how is he able to explain that for somebody that can't feel it themselves because they're not in the situation. Well, I guess I guess I don't know. I mean, it, well, well, how would he illustrate it? Well, he just would say, you know, when when you think there's oversteer, here's what's happening to the tire, here's what's happening to the wheel, and I can feel this part of the car coming up. I didn't understand everything every time he explained it to me, but just by osmosis, it finally it, some of these things dawned on me. Got it. So in uh, 1976, you went to work with Ralph Moody and Janet Guthrie. Uh, Janet, uh, that's a big deal to have a female competing in NASCAR, and she did really well. Um, what was your experience like there? I was working with Ralph Moody, and I just was the car chief on that car. Right. Um, Before car chiefs were a thing. Yeah. 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 I didn't know it was the lead mechanics probably right. more, about, That's yeah. more about what it is. And one of the things, if you look at any of these pictures of, of my cars and stuff, I had this little emblem, this WC. I signed my name, mm -hmm. you know, WC, and I had little things made up when I first started my own race shop, and I still had my own race shop when I was working with Ralph. I got to looking at that very first car that we got from Foyt for Janet at Charlotte. Has one of them little WC stickers back behind one the corner. right here. Yes, sir. And I didn't know that till just two or three days ago. <laughs> I wonder how I got away with doing yeah. that. So Janet ran Charlotte. She also ran top ten at Bristol, and we ran Dover. Yeah, in Ontario. So uh, she you ran know, pretty good at Ontario. Yeah. So uh, you know. I, I've always kind of been fascinated by her, but what was it like to work with her? She was uh, she was all business. She, um, she would not buy a book that had the word redneck on it, I can tell you that. Yeah. She, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know how to – she was a pleasant enough person, very intelligent, and, and I was – I admired her stamina and her guts. Right. I, I bet it had been a little bit of a rough road <laughs> Yeah. Get, get out there and run with them guys. And, For sure. And well, you lived it, right? You lived it with her. You were you were part of that team. So I mean, what was uh, what was that like? You you couldn't hardly work. Just people everywhere. Right. People everywhere. You couldn't. You just you couldn't do stuff. What was that like though? Was is a big difference between what you'd been doing. So I mean, this is sort of the moment where you're transitioning uh, toward where you ended up owning your own cars, right? Was this experience with Janet and Ralph Moody, uh, you know, in, influence you in any way to, to start your own team? No, the start of my own team actually came about with Ralph and your dad. I mean, that's how I got into being a car owner. At that point, I just had my own shop. I was fixing cars, building cars. Still, and where at? In Fort Mill, South Carolina. I actually, I don't know if you've been I following any, anything on night. Facebook, but there were some guys on that USAC team. Mm -hmm. Came down here. We had a 47-year reunion with me and three of the guys that used to be on that team. And wow. They brought us some some Adams Automotive <laughs> shirts, and we just went around, you know, 
town and, and just said, let's go see if my shop's here. We went from my place in Fort Mill, Rock Hill, drove up and it wasn't much of a ride to go over to Fort Mill. We went over there and that shop was still there. Really? It was still there. People, they'd expanded on the, on the buildings a little bit. They'd not done anything to my race shop, but they'd put big temporary awnings and shelters sort of in front of it and put storages underneath it. A guy does re- restoration of electronic stuff. Doing really well, but he knew who I was, and he said, boy, there's – he still thinks there's – he is. said there is still pieces of car bodies outside, out behind that shop, and I don't remember doing that, but when it gets unsnake weather, I'm going to go back there and see. Oh, it's, it's oh, covered up, overgrown and stuff? I didn't even go back and look at it because yeah. know, I ain't going to do nothing with it, but – that's so, cool that y'all went in. You that was an unplanned, unprompted yeah, type of no, thing. Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to show those guys where my where they, I got started. You know, I just wanted, and so the guy said, "Oh, he says, yeah, you come in here." He says, "These people, they all know who you are." I, there's like six of them, you know, it, 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 but they're just in that building. They know what happened in that building is right. all because of your dad's reputation. So let's get there. Um, is that the building that you were working in when you, you buy this car? You bought a car from. Bud Moore. Bud Moore. All right. This car won at three races in a row at Talladega. Um, it only ran five times, I think. Did it? Yeah. So this so it won, if not all three, it won one of one of the Talladega races. So it's a good race car. Yes, sir. Um and if you look at the paint scheme and you look at the you know, Bud Moore and his Talladega, you know, races with uh, Buddy Baker, I mean it, you it's it's obvious what car it is. Which was a fun thing for me to put together in my mind uh, when you think about the history of race cars. Uh, you, you know, I've, I've known about this car. Uh, I've seen pictures of this car all my life. Did not know that you bought it from Bud Moore. Looking at it, it makes perfect sense. Did not know that it was so successful. I ended up going to Dalladega and breaking that record that Buddy set uh, of three in a row. So I have, uh, I've watched those races that, and know about those races that Buddy ran uh, in that car. So you buy this car from from uh, Bud Moore. Talk about like what led up to that. What made you want to go buy a race car? Uh, I I didn't. The, the story is Humpy called me and wanted to know if I'd be interested in being a car owner. Why did Humpy call you? Well, because he was wanting to have an African-American race car driver. Willie T. Ribs. Willie T. Ribs. And I, my only question was, you know, am I going to get – paid you know he, he helped me buy the car too by the okay. way it wasn't it wasn't i just I decided why, to go buy that i wonder car. why he said you need you know i need a car owner will i'll call will why why, why didn't he call well this would have been in seven, called anybody this would have been in 78 when i was working with ralph moody on janet's car i okay. had my shop so I'm, I'm building stuff for people and putting skins on them and then i in 77 i worked with ricky rudd that whole year during his rookie year. so i you know i and humpy put that deal together for us too so okay um i mean so he knew what i was doing i guess and maybe what i was capable of and and he knew that i was no longer with ralph with uh uh, ricky rudd okay why did you not stick with ricky i think they quit i think they just ran out of money okay got you yep why is humpy orchestrating all of these deals for everybody like how is he so how is he the person sitting there placing drivers with teams he's a promoter I know, but he's a promoter of a, of a racetrack. I know, but that's what they do. That's what they used to I, do. I'm that's big, what they used to do. Big time impressed with Humpy Wheeler. He's a huge part of my career. Yeah. Huge part. So, so Humpy is trying to in the in the interest you're saying is like you know in order Great. to make a good race 
yeah. at his speedway. He's literally gra- getting yeah. involved and saying, hey, this driver can go to this team so the, and create a field. Yeah, so he was big player in bringing Janet in. Janet was trying yes. to qualify at Indy, and, they, and that wasn't working out. And so Humphrey's like, I'll get you a car if you can come here and race in, in Charlotte in 600. And, she's, and so they did, right? Yes, sir. That was back even before that. I think Humpy learned this from working at Charlotte Motor Speedway because in the early 70s, there was not a formidable Chevrolet on the racetrack. Chevy wasn't involved in the sport. Humpy and, or the, the racetrack needed those Chevrolet ticket buyers. But to get them there, they needed a fast Chevy. So they worked with Junior Johnson, got Charlie Glotz back to drive the car. They got a fast Chevy at the racetrack. Um, Charlie was whooping their tail till they ended up wrecking the car. But um, So I think Humpy, that sort of was the thing. And it started probably somewhere else, but Charlotte Murray Speedway did it really well where they would have a, not a gimmick, but they would have a, a story. They would have something. A hook. A hook. That yeah. was outside of the traditional Petty versus Pearson uh, thing. You know what I mean? So that in 78, the hook is you're going to own this race car. He's going to help you get it. And Willie T. Ribs is going to come drive it. Right? But, yes, but it, it, it didn't pan it out. It didn't work out. Willie comes up, and for two days we're practicing, and he's not going fast at all. I'm, I'm staying in touch with Bud Moore and, and Humpy Nose. I thought quite a bit about cars at that time. So I'm just certain that the car was okay. You know, that there wasn't something wrong with the car. I, I you know, I checked stuff like the toe in and yeah. weight and the bite and all that stuff. And there's nothing unusual. And I'm talking to Bud Moore. He says, no, he says, just tell that guy he needs to drive in a different place. And that's what Humpy was telling him. Humpy was drawing on a, a, ma- a paper napkin. He would draw when, when you go by the gate, you need to be here. When you go around that orange ball here, when you go over that hump, you need to be here. And, you know, he just was saying, yeah connect them dots and you'll be fast and it just wasn't it wasn't working it wasn't working at all and uh finally willie t ribs comes in comes down pit road he goes about three spots past us pulls right up next to the wall and when he gets out he steps over the wall and i i haven't to this day i haven't seen him since (laughs) well no wait a second in the book I'm a little, I'm a little confused. First of all, was Willie T. Ribs a part of those first two practices that you said? Because in the book, I read it as if he didn't even show up for practice. No, he was there. Okay, so he was there at practice. Yes, sir. All right, and so then afterwards, he 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 storms out of the track and gets arrested. Does he not? Yes. Okay. I, I, I. My answers to those are going to be things I've read in the newspaper and Got heard from. You don't know firsthand. You don't know firsthand. No, no. But but stuff was in the newspaper, and then who who was a newspaper writer for the H- Higgins? Show? Yes, yeah, Tom Higgins. Tom Higgins and I were pretty close, and he shared some stuff with me too. So. Okay, so but it is fact though that um, you never saw Willie again because he got arrested, and not, and all of a sudden he's not racing. He he got sent uh, home. He got sent home yeah. to California, or wherever. Yes, right. Sir. Okay. It's, so now they need a driver. Humpy needs a driver. Well, Humpy calls me, and he said. You, you don't be disappointed, he said, but I've sent your, your young man back to California. Mm-hmm. And I'm, oh, well, man, now now what? I'm all geared to go to Charlotte. Thought I was going to be a car owner. I got a fast car. What am I going to do now? And uh, he says, just don't worry about it. He says, we'll figure out something. But he says, you're going to hear your name on TV tonight. And he said, don't. This, don't. We'll figure out something is what he said. So Howard Howard Johnson yeah. comes on the TV and he's, he starts talking about, well, Cronkrites lost his driver. 
And that's all I hear. The phone rings, and it's your dad. He says, can I drive that car? How did you and dad know each other? We weren't friends. We didn't hang around at the racetrack. We, it, somehow we got connected. We were both having problems with right front springs breaking. And he and I just, I don't, I, I don't even remember where we were. Oh, yeah, we were actually at your grandma's house. Oh. You know what? If you see her, you tell her I was asking about her. I will. She has fixed peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for me to eat. Now I'll never forget that. You, me, and your dad go sit on that back porch. <laughs> yeah. And she'd bring out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in wrap in uh, wax paper. And we, but we were at your dad's shop, and we'd both been breaking springs. You know, you'd, you'd cut a spring to size, and then you'd weld a pin on the end to keep it from backing out the lower control arm. I just would ground the spring. And hold a pin and weld it. And it just seemed like, to me, we're looking at your dad's spring and mine, the two springs that we were looking at, I could, felt I could see a little inclusion in the top part of that coil. So, so that arc just set up a stress concentration area, and, and that's where the springs broke. It seems implausible to me, but that's all I could think of. So from then to now, I'm sure your dad did, and I did too, we'd hold a pin with the ground and welded on so we weren't grounding we were grinding the pin not the spring interesting so yeah that was just it you know a, a two or three hour conversation conversation all right he, he had he did show me a little box that i think had five or six of them screwdriver things on they your dad your grandpa used for axle keys. axle keys yeah yeah he was he was pretty proud of that i mean he was proud to it's show a big me the story yeah, yeah so yeah. yeah the story is is that um i guess in the 60s uh racing dirt tracks they were breaking axle keys and granddaddy found or figured out to use uh the uh, screwdriver to yeah. gr cut a screwdriver up into pieces and use it it was a little bit tougher than the stock axle key because they kept breaking them it was so, my understanding it was one particular brand one yeah brand. it was a store he was going to and buy so them he up went right to the yes. art, yeah he went to all the stores around town and bought every every <laughs> screwdriver of that brand your so dad told me that the rest of the guys in the in the sport didn't have those so dad calls you and says, let me drive that car. And I, have, I said, you know, it's, it's not my car. This is a deal program. I said, I'm, I'm not in charge. He says, well, you care if I ask Humpy? No, I said, I don't care. Harold Johnson's still talking about it on the television. Humpy calls. He says, you care if this young boy drives your car? Humpy says, I said, do you think he can keep it off the wall? But I'm telling you, I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, sure, I'm, I'm, I'd like to do that. So then Howard Johnson's just signing off on that story. On the and news. dad calls, yeah. and he says, I'm coming down. We're going to fit that seat. And we needed to. It, the race was in the morning. So he says, I'm bringing my seat. We're going to fit the seat. So I'm figuring we're going to change some holes. He's going to, you know, the race some. was when? It was the next morning. It was, must wow. have been Tuesday, so Wednesday would have been the first day at the track. I mean, okay. it, was, it was. So it was happening. We had to do it. I mean, yep. it's, it's on. If it's going, we're starting right now. Golly. And I wrote in the book, I think we're, he lived 52 or 53 miles away and was there in 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. he's hauling. And he had this little scrawny kid in the front seat with him. <laughs> yeah, I can't is, believe is I was there sitting at the table right now. So and, yeah, that's and, that's true. I mean, that, that's that's a that true. Part's true. Yes, sir. Yes, so sir. the the way I read in the in the book is that y'all spent four hours or so at least, <laughs> right, hammering on this car, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And he and, and I sat in the passenger side of the truck, looking out. You you stood in the passenger side of the truck. The Just window, watching the whole the time. The window was halfway down. You must have had a cold because there's a lot of snot on that windshield <laughs> you had a runny nose i, I yeah. mean I, you know I don't, or, or you spit on it or something yeah 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 i'm it's sure drool, yeah I'm you sure drool, probably drooling yeah. yeah oh yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> but did I say any did I say never it? said a, never said nothing. Really? The most well behaved young man. No kidding. No, and and no 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 issues with your dad. He he he'd look out the window and it's you doing all right? You okay? You need anything? Yeah. You, never you never That's it. All right. You checked on me. Yeah, that's good to know. He did on a, on a regular basis. <laughs> we uh, couldn't rule it out. I don't know. <laughs> all right. You don't yeah. know. You don't that's, know. That, you never know. So, all right. Well, give me an idea of what time of day this is or t- night. It's at night. If oh, you were watching the evening o- news. Oh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning by the time we. Woo! <laughs> and he's in the truck at 2 o'clock in the morning? Hell yeah, man. Hang of a dad. Where's he going to go? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Bed? Like, go. go. He wasn't missing nothing of it. He was right. He, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Every time you looked out, the same. He was sitting there watching. Heck yeah. Nose right. hanging over the top of that glass in that right side door. That's crazy. Wouldn't it be irony if uh, if Dale did that so my boy will have a memory that he'll always be able to rely on uh, when the time he came to work on a car with me, and then Dale Jr. has no recollection of it whatsoever? Yeah. Well, I was probably <laughs> only four. Right. Yeah. I, again, I, I don't know if that gets you Dad of the Year um, awards. Uh, to, to get your you, you had blue jeans on and a short sleeve pullover. Not a sweatshirt, but a, a yeah. shirt like that. You know, short sleeve. You pull Jeez. over your head. And- so your you dad. So dad walks in. All right, to work on this car to fit this seat. The and, night before race. And he had a. His, he. I can't believe he did this, but. Um, I didn't know he was doing this this early, but uh, he he takes the seat out and cuts your. He brought a seat with him. Okay, what kind of seat? Why did he bring a seat? What was wrong with the seat in it? I don't know. Okay. I just, I just, just now, gotcha. it's coming to mind. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. So he brings a seat with him. Anyways, he takes the seat that's in there and cuts it out and cuts your car all to pieces. We we go in there. And we're we're changing the brackets in the seat. He gets in and out. This ain't happening. I want to do this. We drill it, move it back. Do this. So we, and then we re re welded the brackets for the seat to go back and he, in and out, in and out, and in and out. And this goes on and on. <laughs> and and. We keep doing more. He wants more. Want another, another change. Another change. And we not only end up cutting the seat rail out, we cut a f- square piece out of the floor. Oh my gosh! And move the floor Lower. down about an inch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what I was. That's oh, he, almost what I was. Yeah, because he wanted to be low. He, right. he, you know, he just wanted to to look a certain way. And I'm, I know enough that he's a good driver. I know he's not. I know he's not being an idiot. I, Do you know that? Because he hadn't established himself as well. Huh? If Humpy says he can drive that car, I'm okay. But he crashed. He only had two or three starts up into that point. So you're just going on Humpy's word. You're not. Yeah, you I don't really know. I ain't parking my cars. I mean, I'm right. You get you. You got that. Car. I got a chance to. You know. Okay. I'm, Fair I'm enough. just as enthused as your dad is. I'll tell you. I'm. I'm just as pumped. Yeah. We're gonna go racing in the morning. Yeah. Did it strike you as odd that he's. He's wanting to make all these changes to your car, having not been like, I mean, it's not like it's Benny Parsons or, or Kale or somebody coming in with all this influence. I mean, he's telling you to cut up your, your no, car. It wasn't, he knew what he wanted, and I didn't feel the need to question. Yeah. I mean, I understood sort of the need, and, and, and I've shared with him later on, just when, he, when we finally got to seat where he wanted, he says, you don't know why we're doing all this, do you? And I said, well, it's like, you know, what do they say that? If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. And I can imagine if a driver's not happy, he ain't gonna leg that thing. You just, yeah. it's just, you, you got to do what you got to do. You want the guy to to give you what what you're looking for. So y'all finally get the seat tuned up. I, as I understand it, he had you maybe even sat in the car he and did. showed you why he, he mounted the seat that way. He says you don't know what we're doing, do you? And I gave him that answer. He says we'll get in the car, and so 
I get in the car and he said, where's that? If you barrel that car down into the first turn at Charlotte, where's that car in front of you? I've never driven one of these cars, so I just point out the front window at the wall. And he, he said, he kind of went like that. And he said, well, where's the car in front of him? And I looked at him like he was crazy. I just, it's out in front of him. And he said, no. He said, that car's up here in the corner of this A-post. And the light just went off. He knew I, that was the first and the most impressive thing I remember about your dad was that we did all this crap, 2 o'clock in the morning. He could have settled for something different. He could have asked my opinion. We could have quit early, but we did it here. And as soon as I saw that, I was impressed. I was. That's interesting. That takes testicles, yeah. in my opinion, to come down and do that to that car. So, yeah. But he knew what so he Mike, wanted. He knew what he wanted. Yeah, when you go down in the corner. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting turn, here. Looking. You're looking around the bank, and the, that's exactly right. So that's right. The, he's working the angles. Yeah. Wow. He didn't he can, really just want to take the hammer and everything to all these cars. He, he, he can see further around the curve for sure. So, um, how did when y'all got finished? Did you paint any of the spray stuff? spray, spray can, can it? gray? It's gray. just gray. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, you go to the racetrack. The next morning, did he meet you at the shop or meet you at the track? No, or? he brought he brought he brought you to the racetrack again in the morning. Bullcrap! And I remember he, and you haven't even left I the don't truck even yet. Remember this? <laughs> no, I wearing well, the I, same clothes. I got to be pretty tired by this point. I mean, gosh Almighty, is he wearing yeah. the same clothes? Probably. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that. Yeah. So he showed up. He met you at the track. But he, he brought you, and what I remember, I think I shared with you in an earlier conversation that Kelly came up. And you were both happy to see each other. And I don't know why you left, but you w walked up and got a hold of her hand, and you all walked off someplace, you know, yeah. going to get a sandwich or something. But and and your dad was here. But wow. So I'm assuming, and this is '78. Dad and mom are splitting up or split mm. up, and maybe for that particular day or two or whatever, Dad had me, and then he goes to the track. Mom's there with Kelly. I see Kelly. That, that would fit exactly what I remember. Yeah, yeah. And I'm all happy. So, Dad, and you were at the track on Wednesday, first time on the racetrack. He goes out and drives the car, right? Is he, you, any conversation before he gets in? He just hops in and goes? No, nothing to say. You know, yeah. Just go check first out. time for everybody, just go spin it. See what do you that. recall from those few days of practice and all that? Go pretty smooth? Yes, yeah. Between he and I was smooth. The car, it was a Budmore car set up for Charlotte. It had the right gear, the right heads. I mean, there was no, we, he and I had no excuses. You know, we mm. we, we had the right piece to work with. And yep. I remember that we went pretty well. Um, at, at the tail end of the deal, we ended up, somebody bought us another set of tires. And I'm a little puzzled about that because I, I guess I'd like to tell you the story about it how we got sponsored on that car and how Humpy was working with us. We, we were working on the car with your dad. We weren't really having any problem. We, you know, putting a bite in the car, changing the wedge, neutralizing the sway bar or something. We, we weren't thrashing in sure. any way. And we weren't kicking anybody's butt, but we just were wanting to go fast enough to get in. And uh, Humpy said, when you get here in the morning, come up and see me and I'll give you some money. I got some money for you. So I go up to his office and he gives me $3,500. And I'm thinking... You know, 1978, $3,500 is a pretty darn good bite. So we're down there working on the car, and I think the sign painter's finishing up something. And this other man walks up and said, I'm the, I'm the owner of that tractor company. He said, I got some money for you. So he gave me an envelope. I opened it up, and there's $3,500 in it. 
I said, man, this is getting better all along mm. until it just then it dawned on me. This is the money. Humpy fronted me this money. This money is actually Humpy's. So I just I put it in my pocket. So so we go ahead and we're, we're racing and we we ran pretty good. I don't remember the name of the gentleman that was Humpy's grounds manager. Is it Javi Simpson? Anyhow, I I know and I, I'm sure. I'm, I'm apologize because he bought us a set of tires. Oh wow! Oh. Yeah, he and I'm trying to just must have been put, a pal of Daddy's or something. Well, he worked for your uh, no. Well, he was he he, he was a fan of your dad's, okay. but he worked for Humpy, Humpy. Yeah, and he was in charge of the grounds. He I, we we needed them set of tires. I'm trying to think out now why with thirty if I had thirty five hundred dollars, I didn't have enough money for more tires. Well, you had to get. I bought wheels, wheels, air tanks. Engine, every, yes. You bought everything. Yeah, you had to buy everything I did. to pit the car. I, I did. Well, I had m- most of the pit equipment, but I had to get a new gun. Uh, new regulators and, yeah. and wheels. I had to buy ten wheels. I remember in your book, I read uh, you had it itemized out and everything, how you spent everything, and how you uh, you know you made it stretch every dollar. Yeah, that 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 went pretty well, and and the, and the race went well. Out, and I'll tell you this: we're in the middle of the race, and I still think we're on the lead lap. We're 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 running pretty good. We ain't kicking nobody's butt, but we're sure. no you know nothing spinning out. We're not screwing up. We're giving him decent stops, and things are going pretty well. And somebody's come we come in and somebody slower than us is, is in front of him and he's mirror driving him and it's obvious i mean it's just obvious and your dad come, called on the phone uh, on the radio and I, we're really proud i uh, some of that money was spent getting that radio put in your dad's helmet and <laughs> so you like to hear from yeah yeah and uh, <laughs> well i'm just proud as i can be i got a radio you know i can yeah. talk to my driver and but he comes by he comes under the flag stand here and, and he says you care if i spin this guy out and i said <laughs> I don't care if you spin him out, but can you do it without hurting our car? Well, clearly he thought he could, but I wanted to make sure, I guess. He says, I'm going to give him three laps. But three means a lot to stuff that I've associated with your dad. He says, I'm going to give him three laps. And he comes by and he works him down. This guy goes down. He comes back around. He comes down. The guy goes down. He's, he, he's coming to the flag stand off a of turn four. That's kind of a scary place, ain't it? He's, my, he's called me. He's turned one hand loose to work on the, He says, I'm going to do it now. He walked down. That guy worked down. Your dad went a little bit lower than normal and walked across the back of his spoiler and lifted the butt of his car up, you know, and he just scooted like that, and your dad just went underneath him just like that. <laughs> I was impressed. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, not a ta- I'm not a driver talent that's talent. judge, but, that's you good. know, you got you to gotta know it. Yeah, I'm impressed. That's pretty cool. And he right? told me he was going to do it. He <laughs> told me where he, he was going to do it. He called a shot. And he told me when. That's right. He called his shot. That's exactly right. So the race ends, everything's in one piece, cars in one piece, got a decent finish. What's the conversation like when dad gets out of the car? We, we said, um, we, we were talking to the sponsor, and we said to him, you gonna, can we do more? And your dad said, I'm in. And I said, I am too. And so the guy committed to four more races. Right there in the, on the spot? Right there. just At Charlotte? Yeah, just right at after, the the, after the race. Okay. Yeah, he, wow. His car went the whole deal, and nothing got smashed, and— Nobody ticked him off or swore at him or nothing. Wow. Okay. I mean, that, I just didn't think nothing about it. That's I. Did, I didn't know any other way of getting money. I just said, "Can we do more?" And he said, "Yeah." And your dad yeah. said he was in. So, so the but, the schedule was Daytona, Talladega. Or what y'all ended up doing was Daytona, Talladega, Darlington. My question is, did you guys? Did you already know what those races would be when all of a sudden you got this deal? I don't remember. I don't remember itemizing it, but I just knew we weren't going to go to any short tracks. And we weren't going to go to California, so it just worked out, you know, $3,500 a race. You know, you're just sort makes of, sense. Yeah, it's, 
I, I don't remember setting it out as a schedule. And I, I think we probably went one race at a time. But then Humby comes down wanting to know how we're doing. And I've got that money in my pocket, that $3,500, and I give him that, give him that envelope with that $3,500 in. I said, this here, this is yours. I should have given it to you before now. And he looked over at my truck and my trailer and that car. Have you, have you seen a picture yeah, of that? Yeah, I've seen car? it. Uh, I'm, I'm, that's my favorite picture of my time with your dad. It's coming home with that car. It's a stolen trailer on a, in an old 64 pickup truck, six-cylinder pickup truck. Bowed down. Dragging the, dragging the ground. You know? And Humpy looked over and he saw that, and he gave me that money back. He says, here, go buy you a truck. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell the story about the stolen trailer real quick? I mean, is I know there's a ton that we want to get to, but I mean, you just said, you know, you done, you, you go win this, or you, win, or you yeah. go do this race and with a stolen trailer, you, people are going to want to know what, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. No, you should have. You, oh, you should just add, add, add a little context well, to it. This is, a, this is a sudden occurrence. This all right. happens in three or four days, you know, literally three or four days. And then all of a sudden it dawns on me, how am I going to get this car to the racetrack? <laughs> and I, I've been, I, I, there was a gentleman named, Leon Boomershine from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. What a name. He had bought a car from Daryl Waltrip, and I was skinning the car. I was putting a new body on it. And I'm thinking to myself, how can I get a trailer? And I'm kind of asking around. I called Leon. And he, said, uh, he said, no, you can't borrow that trailer. And I, I don't know why. I guess maybe he borrowed it or something. I, to this day, I have no idea why he didn't want me to borrow his trailer just to go to Charlotte. Well, I had to do something, and I just figured I could get this. Charlotte and back before he could get here from Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> so you borrowed it yourself. You borrowed it without uh, permission. How would you get the car to Talladega, Daytona, and all the other places? Oh, we got that extra $3,500 from Humpy. We're in tall cotton. I sh- in the book I, I show, there's a – we went to High Point and bought one of Huggins tire trucks. Okay. And brought it home, and a friend of mine in Pennsylvania, Greg Heller, did some painting and made it look like a race truck from the tire truck. And uh, and then I bought a used Reed trailer. That was hot stuff. That was. A, yeah. Do you know what the Reed trailer? Is? It's just back in them days. You know, if you had a trailer, Petty and Junior and all them guys had a Reed trailers. Just a heavy gotcha. duty, all diamond plate. Oh wow! Just it's just a man's trailer. <laughs> <laughs> and I found a used one of them. So we went to Daytona Looking with good. a Huggins tire truck, all our crap just sewn in the back of a big empty box. And, but I had a Reed trailer. And a Reed trailer. Yes, sir. No kidding. That was... So I know Dad had been to Daytona before in his sportsman car, so that wasn't a big, you know, that wasn't a probably too big of a shock to him to go down there. Maybe it was for him to go down there and race in the Cup Series. Um, I know he had had a couple Cup races under his belt, but uh, was was driving your car was the first good car that he had been able to to be a part of in the Cup Series. Did he ever say or comment or talk about like how this this did he feel like this was his big break, or that man thank you Will for giving me this opportunity? Both of us just was wanting to race. Yeah. We just let's go. When let's he, see how fast we can go. Let's see how far we can go. How did I mean things go smoothly at Talladega and Daytona and the rest of those da- races? Daytona, the second story in that book about mm-hmm. your dad or the third story I think is about Daytona. And if if I if you're asking my opinion, what Amy have contributed to your dad's future was that race, the Firecracker 400 in Daytona. Why is that? We were just fast. We just, from an independent team, you know, maybe we were 10th fastest overall, but it was right. The car was feeling good. He liked the car, and we were running good. Um, 
I somebody told me we might have been three laps down. I don't think so. I think we were a lap down. We really gave him a lousy pit stop towards the end of the race. We were a lap down. But the guys that were leading the race, there were four of them, they took five or six laps to get around your dad. And he wasn't holding them up. You know, he yeah. wasn't – there's no no rudeness involved. They had they had to pass him. He was holding his own. They were just faster, but he, he was doing a great job. When the caution comes out, I – guessing here 20 laps to go so i know them guys are going to get four tires there's enough racing left they're going to want you know want to have everything so we we came in just gave him one tire and just enough gas to finish a race or two tires i mean enough gas to finish a race and he gets out ahead of them and now he worked them boys hard to get around him he, he just looked big time professionally was racing with the big boys he was giving them everything they could take yeah and I'm just of the opinion that the entire race he was like that. But there at the end, them guys with, I would have to say, better equipment and better experience at the speedways, he was just giving them everything they could chew on. <laughs> you call the chapter Dale's Big Break. I mean, that, that's what you that's, – that, that's, that's my opinion. That was one race that we – you think you know, that, some some days you just on and, and we were just on that day. So is, is it uh, – is it fair to say that you think this is where maybe the day where people realize Dale Earnhardt could race like I, his dad? I, I do. Without, you know, without uh, whatever his reputation probably was up until that point, like he actually had the uh, the, the moxie to do this for a living, right? He, and did, did y'all finish seventh? If, if my yeah, records we, are right we, here. Yeah, we finished, yeah, we finished pretty good. So right you're, lo- you're talking about his first top ten ever in cup, of course. Your, um, your, your dad never scratched my car. Yeah. And you run four Harry, races. Harry, Harry Gant tapped the wall. My dad, my dad's a tall, scrawny guy, electrical engineer. First time he ever seen anything I did, he came to the Charlotte race. He get, he came in the pits after that. He was wanting to kick Harry Gant's butt for crashing his boy's race car. <laughs> I said, Dad, that's Harry Gant. You leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> so did Dad ride to the race with you? No. 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 He every, meet you we, down there? Yeah, every, every time. Interesting. So uh, – was there any parting conversation or or a no, moment when Dad no, no, said? No, we, we knew we were going to go to five races. At some point, we knew there were going to be five. I, I I know that first time we didn't commit to the exact five of the exact races, but we thought there were going to be five. And between and it was after Darlington. Boy, we stunk it up at Darlington. We lost a gear and lousy pit stops. We didn't do him any good at Darlington. Um, he come he calls when he said, "Hey," he said, "I got to ask you a favor." He said, "Rod Osterlin wants me to." drive his car next year and uh he said they'd like me to drive one race this year without ruining his ability to, to run rookie of the year next yeah. year and you, you can't say no i mean it's clearly Osterlin had more to offer him than i did i had nothing in the way of sponsorship i only had one car so i said yeah I, i'll i don't have a problem doing that so this was for the the second charlotte race i don't remember who but somebody i think baxter price um, qualified the car, but your dad got in at the first caution and finished that race for me, and I admired him for that. He he said he'd drive five, and he did his best to drive five races. I yeah. I, I admire your dad's integrity. I'm missing something. Wait, so, so what, Mike? He, he finished the race, but he didn't start the race for That's you? That's correct. In, in your, so if he starts the race, he ruins his rookie eligibility for 1979 and can't race for the rookie of the year, which is okay. his, which is this big – Okay, because I guess it, his, if you run more than four races, I yeah, guess I suppose, yeah. you I can run. It. You okay. can run five. 
Yeah, he'd run. He'd run four at oh, Charlotte. Four. Yeah, he couldn't run the fifth, or that would have made him ineligible. Okay, but I've got him running in Atlanta for Osterlin that year, in nineteen seventy. That was probably that what would it, have been the one. Yeah. So he so Osterlin, Mike Osterlin Osterlin calls and says, "We're hiring you for seventy nine, but yep. we want you to run Atlanta in our car." So he goes to Will and says, "Will, I can't run your car. I can't start your car at Charlotte because that'll put me over the five. Yep. Because I want because Osterlin wants me in Atlanta." He says, no problem. Baxter starts the car. Dad Got it. Jumped in it and and he race. jumped in and finished it at Charlotte and then yes. ran his Atlanta but race. I, but I, ad- I admired that because he could have just sat it out. But He, he could have. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is cool. So it was an amicable thing, although probably disappointing for well, you. Disappointing to me, yeah, big time. Yeah. Especially now. <laughs> Turned out he knew something. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out he was all right, wasn't he? Yeah, you could look at it like that, I guess, or you could look at it like you were a big catalyst. I, I, without you, I, I would like that. I mean, well, I, without I think that's the way people do view it. Is without you, that does you know his opportunity doesn't come. Humpy was kind enough to say that to me, so that's a big deal. Thank well, there you. There you go. That's I a mean, big deal. Yeah. Thank you. No, I mean that's the that's the reality of the situation. I think is is that's why that car sits on this table is because that car and that you know you and that car and that opportunity um, wouldn't have uh, you know wouldn't have gave him the chance. Uh, to showcase himself and what he did and be able to go to Rod's and get hired there. You know, what he was doing in his sportsman car uh, was was good stuff, but I don't think it would have got him that full-time ride. To, to see him compete in the Cup Series in that car, your car, uh, and com- and not scratch your car, go out there and run in the top ten and, and do well is the is – the, Th- Things went really smooth. He was good on pit yeah. stops and – after that, after Dad goes to Rod's, what is your relationship with my father like going forward to his death? Like, you're, y'all, does he call you from time to time? No, no, we we, we weren't close. We we didn't turn out to be buddies or anything like that. I mean, okay. I, I would have liked that, but he, he, I'll tell you what, some of the other things he did do, and some of the races after that, uh, I'd have some folks that maybe that clearly were not as talented as your dad, you know, that would drive for me three or four races a year or one here and one there. And every once in a while we'd, we'd look like we'd be in trouble. And back when in that period of time, if you qualified 10th or more, you'd get some free tires. And if you qualified eighth, you got four or something. If you qualified in the first two, you get eight tires or something, you know, yeah. you got free tires. And on three occasions would, he gave me two tires. <laughs> Yeah, when I needed two tires, so, mm. and I know he did that to Dave Marcus too. Yeah, he was very. I'm, I'm aware of a large number of things your dad did that were kind-hearted gestures that he, you know, I I don't think he was interested in people knowing about kind-hearted sure. gestures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, nah, you're that, right. That's just my opinion there. Yeah. So um, let's talk about one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time especially in motorsports uh i think the best well second to last american hero of course with junior J- johnson but stroke race um you played a significant role in preparing the cars and putting things together to be able to you know for, for them to be able to have the resources they needed to be able to make the movie i guess there was a there was a t-bird that got wrecked and uh, you can tell us about that, but I mean, where? Wh- how does that even start? How does that conversation even start up? Somebody, you know, I know you got your shop. You're doing anything and everything. You know, you you you're jack mm-hmm. of all trades. You can do it all, right? A guy needs a body on a car. 
whatever. Um, so how did you get connected with the movie industry to be able to provide all the cars for this movie? Well, I, I was doing some work with uh, Elliot Forbes Robinson in 82, yep. and it was a car that I had built from a donor car. I, I, I updated a car, and w we qualified for the race. If you check it, it looks like we didn't, but we, we, we qualified for the race. But in the last practice, after the last, after the last practice, but before the race, we stuffed that thing in a second turn and scuffed up the right side really bad. And somebody came up to me, and the people at the six-pack movie were getting ready to do their filming the following week there in Atlanta. They say, we need a car for a crash scene. And they hired me to stay over. We jury-rigged that car where it would run enough. They put automatic transmission fluid in a little can, and the stunt guy squirted the transmission fluid into the fuel line, made the car smoke really, really bad, or into the carburetor, made it smoke real bad, then he run it up against the wall. It already been crashed, and they just were doing it. But they never... They never they cut it out of the movie. I, I don't think never it, even made it. I, I don't think it made it. They paid me. Yeah. So, you know, I just didn't care. But from that, I get home, and the people from Universal Studio were calling other people that had been in that movie and just say, we're going to have this movie. Could we get you to be interested? Well, in the Kenny Rogers movie, they paid us by the day. Some, you, you knew how much money you were getting. But the gentleman with Universal Studios called and said, no, we're not going to. We're not going to do that. He says, well, here's how you're going to get paid. If you, we're going to give you a piece of paper that guarantees somebody 30 seconds exposure in a Burt Reynolds movie. And you can take that contract and sell it for whatever, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever you can get out of it. And it, that's why nobody else was interested. <laughs> that's that's, that's not very sucks. good. Yeah. yeah, well, it requires some ingenuity apparently or some work. But I said, well, have you got anybody so far? And they had... Uh, 7-Eleven, and, and in the movie it's called a four-star whiskey. I don't know. I don't drink, so I don't know if, yeah, if there is a four-star yeah, yeah, yeah. whiskey. Is there? Do you, I mean, I don't no, know. I, know. I, I don't think there I is. I thought that was made up. Yeah, I, I do too. But anyway, she says, we got some money from the four -star, for the four-star whiskey car. We got some money for <laughs> uh, from 7-Eleven. He says you got 30000 to start with. Hmm. But I had to have cars. I mean, I had, mm -hmm. I had to put cars in them movies. So I'd built, I'd built a lot of cars. I had probably four cars of mine. Only two were really good race cars. But we fixed them all up, so I got money for all four of those cars. And then I leased back some cars from people that I'd built cars for and painted them up like the movie cars. And, yeah. And then they, so they'd give me the money. So my money came from other people, not from Universal Studios. But then they hired me to keep track of the, keep the, do the maintenance work on the cars and that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And, if you look in that movie, there's a scrawny guy in a green hat you see every once in a while. They didn't pay him to say nothing. Oh, man. You didn't have any lines, but uh, you, you'll forever in uh, movie lore because it that's all, one of the all great the, stories. All the pit equipment was mine. The proto-tool people gave me 10 toolbox tops and two complete tops and bottoms, and those two top and bottom sets were completely full of tools. Oh, wow. That's cool. And uh, so the deal was that's what got exposed in the movie. So if you see anything in a movie that lids up on the toolboxes and there's a decal that says proto toolbox. So what, what scene can we see you in? Oh, the very first scene when he comes in, he stands up, he gets up on that stand, and there's people in front of him when he walks up mm -hmm. to be announced or something. Yeah. I'm in a Union 76 driver's hat and a hel uh, suit and a, it's a white hat with a green front or something. Okay. Like that. But the the— and, and others. I'm in that bar scene. I found that really the bar hard. Fight? 
I was in there, but I wasn't in the fight. They must have known about me. <laughs> <laughs> they just got, the, guy's got a hand, the guy's got a hammer hidden somewhere. <laughs> yeah, don't get yeah, him. Yeah, don't muck with that. <laughs> um, but that was a hard part for me because you had to act like you were talking to somebody without saying nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I, I found that hard. But the best part for me was uh, there was a scene where they, uh, Johnny Hayes from U.S. Tobacco was supposed to blow an air hose up Lonnie Anderson's dress. Yes. She's up on pit, on pit wall road, yeah. trying to watch her husband be introduced in the infield. And I'm standing right there. Our knees are about that far apart. She's standing on it, and my knees, I got one leg up on the, And all that pit equipment was mine. And I, they, as part of screwing around there, I got to hook up with a guy that was doing the, the B crew or something. If they're shooting over here, you're over here getting ready to shoot. So I'd, I'd be helping him do stuff. And we set up the pit equipment for that scene the night before, this one particular day, and they never got to it. So he come in the next morning, she gets up there, and Johnny Hayes goes to blow that air up her dress, and it just, it was the humidity, the moisture was in that hose from being out on it. It just wet her from, you know, ankle to belly button. She just was. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and, it just, and, and part of the scene is you're supposed to be able to see her underwear, so yeah. that, that screwed things up for a little bit. So she couldn't go back and just dry off and change underwear. She had to go back and get that underwear squared away and come back out and they did oh we'd been doing this for three or four weeks by now and she's walking back up pit road there and I, I see a penny on the ground so i pick that penny up and she says hey will what are you doing he says i'm picking up this penny she said why'd you picking it up i said you find a penny with a heads up that's good luck she takes it let me have that penny she took that penny and stuck it down in this side of her brazier changed pennies and Stuck that penny down inside her and she said, there's some good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and the people on both sides of the camera, you know, just they just fell out laughing. That's funny. That would have made the producer cut or something if yeah. it had been the, you know, like was, the, the, the bone yeah. part of the DVD. I, uh, I still have that penny. You, do you? I, I was going <laughs> to ask that. Do you still have yeah. it? Well, my, I gave it to my nephew, but I know right where it's at. Yeah. It's a 42D. That's a story. Did you ever meet Bert? Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, that, no, we weren't friends or buddies or nothing, but yeah, we hung out. I, I fixed something on, on his tour bus, and his, his guy let us come inside. We were shooting pool. Before, before that movie started, Burt Reynolds gave me one of his jackets, the movie jacket, because they changed the name of the movie. And the name on the back of the jacket he gave me was the original name, so yeah. it wasn't wasn't anything. He yeah, could what use. was the name? Stroke of Race was the name of the movie, but the book was called Stand on. It. Yes, Stand the on book it. was named. I got a book. Stand on it. Yeah, I got yeah. the book in my bus. Stand on it. And if you if you look at during that thing, the movie, the thing that impressed me or that enthused me was that he always wore elevator tennis shoes. Give and, him an and, inch. And if you act, he doesn't. I don't want to say that. I'm not an expert, but. He was the same sitting here talking as he was acting. I mean, he just he just talked. He didn't, like, get yeah. into character or something. I don't know. <laughs> he was Burt Reynolds all the yeah. time. He was funny. And, you know, that's you pretty ever, cool. Yeah. If, you watch, <laughs> if you watch those movies, at the end of them, they show, you know, funny stuff yes. that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. And most of that stuff happened was after they'd shoot that film. That day, the film would go to California. It'd come back the next day, and after the filming, they'd go in there and, look at what they shot the day before 
And those people just cracked you up. You just mm. belly hurt from laughing at the. He was just funny. He yeah. was just funny all. How time. many months was it that y'all worked on that movie? Uh, I think maybe six or seven weeks. That it wasn't. Seemed, a, it oh, wasn't it was a, quick. It wasn't a. It just seems like it would have been so much fun. A lot of work, I'm sure, but still. It was in the in the movie. I do. Here's some things about your dad. We we first go down there, and then. In that movie, the car that looks like the chicken pit car is actually two cars. And and the car that the bad guy drives is actually two cars. His two cars for the bad guy were my two real race cars yeah. from 82 weeks. Those other two were the two of only five prototype cars made for those 83 Thunderbirds. And so they bring me these two cars, and the guy calls, says, you're getting two of these two new Thunderbirds, and the guy's in a truck called on the way and said when we get there we're going to be there about 10 o'clock at night we need to have a fire out in your front yard with four foot flames on it you know i don't know and in hindsight maybe they just wanted to, they were going to cook hot dogs or something I, they just wanted this flame outside the yard well they come in these two cars this big truck come down our driveway and the cars are in gunny sacks and they unzip them and uh fold that stuff up put it back in the truck and they says you put them cars in the shop he says run all your people home and that's how you kept this kind of my shop guy and me and they made us strip everything that would burn out of them two cars and put it in that fire. Just burn it up. They were prototypes. They didn't okay. want somebody. They didn't want me selling it to I somebody you. or, you know, taking advantage okay. of it or something. So we burn all that up. So next, in the next thing in the morning, here comes this guy from the motor, from Ford Motor <laughs> Company just eating my lunch. You ain't supposed to be having them cars. Nobody told me they were gone. They're missing. Don't you touch them cars. I said... I said, I'm going to have to dig a couple of barrels full out of the burn pile outside. <laughs> I said, we burnt that stuff last night. And I heard that old phone slam down. He's mad. He is mad as he can be. He's a advertising guy and some marketing guy gave us the cards or something. Not, not me. I said, you have to talk to Universal Studios. I didn't do nothing with him. He's madder and snot. And he said, well, this afternoon there's going to be a guy come down there. And you're going to have to pick him up at the air terminal and go over to the freight terminal and get a box. So we do that in that truck, that, in that old pickup truck. This guy comes down and raises the hood of them cars, gets up in there, loosens the coat, takes off his coat, loosens his tie, and puts a shop coat on, crawls up in there, and he took off his electronic fuel injection and put carburetors on them. I mean, did anybody want to see those the injector systems, sequential fuel injection on those cars? So And he gets all his stuff back up, put in that box, and we send him home. And calls the next day, this guy's still just mad as he can be. But we fix up these two cars because when they're filming, uh, we, we did things four laps at a time. And one, one four-lap segment, the camera would be on the bad guy's car. Yeah. And the next time, four, four laps, the camera would be on the good guy's car. And the second, the third time, the, they'd film from the camera truck. They had a camera truck that go Fast. 150 miles an hour, yeah. big old truck. Them camera guys tied a belt to a rope on them handrails on the back of them trucks. <laughs> I was always afraid somebody would run over him. If you ever look, if you're watching that movie and you're looking in the windshield at Burt Reynolds, that camera truck is towing that race car because the tr car won't go as fast as a camera truck. Whoa. Old, they had old stock four-cylinder motors in and they didn't. They didn't. The cars did, real, the race yeah. cars, yeah. Well, no, the, the Burt Reynolds, the, the Burt Thunderbirds. Reynolds Fords, yeah. 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 Oh, there were th I was going to ask, what, what prototypes were these? There's... 83 Thunderbirds. The Thunderbirds. Real street cars. Yeah. And he, you bodied out. You put, you put roll quarters, cages and, yeah. roll cages, quarter Got panels, it. and fenders. And, and then it made I, it look like a race car. Made it look car. like a race car. But they were ruined. I mean, it, you, you couldn't fix them back. <laughs> no. Nothing. But. That's what so, 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 Yeah, so what happens is we get, we get down there. 
Talladega. And this guy comes up looking for me. He says, you know, where's that Will Cronkite guy? And I, I took off over to the trucks and made him find us for a little bit. So the stunt guy, about noon, the stunt guy spins one of the new prototype cars and chunks up the left front suspension. It's all new car. There's no sus- you can't go to a hardware store and, you know, or a car dealership and buy any parts. But he come up and he again his neck's all red and knotted up and he said, You better have that car fixed when we get back from lunch and Hal and Needham and him they Hal and Bert was standing there and Bert just, you know, shrugged his shoulders like that. And when that guy walked off, I looked over his shoulders and he had driven the third one of those prototype cars to Talladega. So I figured out how I was going to fix my car. I went out in the parking lot and jacked his car up, took all the stuff out from underneath the left front of his car and put it on my oh, race wow. car. So you know how happy he was when he came back. Dude. That was the third car that I'd God. screwed up for him. Yeah. But, but Bert said, you told him he could do it anyway. He had to. Wow. I don't know how he got that car home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He I couldn't drive it. Wow. That's a... Uh... You know, we've had some really, we've had the privilege of hearing some really good vantage points about that movie. Because, I mean, hearing these stories reminds me that David Hobbs sat in here. Mm-hmm. And some, who else was it that was telling us? Was it Harry, what, Harry Gant, maybe? He was in it. He was in it. Yeah. Man, we've, we've heard some awesome stories. But I got to tell you, I don't think any of them has one as good as you do in that penny. You got the, you, you, you're leading the race on that one uh, because that's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. She she was a both those people were were really nice folks. They yeah. weren't pretentious in any way at all. What I started to tell you was doing that film when I was driving a, one of those cars, one of the cars that I'd made for somebody. The stunt guys were having problems driving my two race cars, and your dad was down there with Bud Moore doing tests. I'm not quite sure how this was both going on, but you know, owners don't want drivers to drive somebody else's car. I I understand that. But I went down to Bud, and I said, you know, these guys are complaining about my car. I said, would you let Dale drive drive it to see if I'm okay? I mean, you know, you, you go through all the stuff. I've been doing it for 10 or 12 years. I kind of thought I was – and it was Talladega. And uh, he said, yeah. So your dad come out, and he came in, and he said, uh, there's nothing wrong with this car. He said, what are they talking about? And I said, they're having a little trouble going into three. And uh, he says, are them stunt guys? Is one of them a tall one, the other one a short blonde? And he said, yeah. He said, well, wait just a little bit. And as them guys crawled up, walked up on us, they got close to us. He leaned in front of me a little bit out of the car, and he says, there's nothing wrong with these cars. He says, if, if you've got guys that can't drive these cars, I'll give you my mom's phone number. She can drive these cars. <laughs> <laughs> and when them, so them guys, and, and what I think, and I'm, I guess that's asking for your input here, what I think I remember him telling them was, you don't just f- jump out of the gas when you go in. He says, you just, just maybe trail break a little bit yeah. and feather out or something. But, but, but they got that fixed, but I thought it was your dad. Your, your dad's help and then one of them guys said that tall guy said is it true you can see air and oh no it was in another conversation they were there and i said i'm having trouble dale i'm cars just jumping all over i'm i'm scaring myself i guess i'm maybe going you're driving it yeah i'm maybe i'm going 180 or something you know, I, when the cars are going 190 i ain't even going at 170 maybe and the car's just jumping around and i'm thinking i'm just scared so i come in put more tape on the top of the wheel adjusted my belts and stuck my elbows in well now did the same thing i said dale man you got to help me i said i'm you know what my you know my car is this car is set up like those other cars you know my background what you know what's wrong he said no it just does that he he just says the cars just dart and just jump around i mean you're you're confirming that right and i know that's right and he was telling me about 
the cars react different if you run up against guardrail than if you run against concrete or if you come across the gate, it'll upset yeah. you. And, uh, and that was when that guy says, is it true that you can see air? And your dad turns to me and he says, well, you know what, Darlington? I guess it was then on the front stretch where that grandstand drops off a little bit and continues on down the track. I said, yeah. He says, well, I can tell you when a fat lady in the third row gets up and goes after popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. So um, you got this book. I was a NASCAR red, uh, redneck. Where can people buy this? There's a website, yeah. nascarredneck.com. Okay. Uh, Will Cronkite, uh, he uh, talks about his work with Donnie Allison, Ricky Rudd. Dad, what are you doing now? Not much. I'm I'm retired, retired. I got into Model A restoration and then into metal shaping. That's kind of how the book came about. Like we're talking here, when I'd go to these metal shaping events, people would gravitate after supper to get me in a corner and get me to tell racing stories. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, they'd invariably say, you need to write a book. You know, I, I don't think I can write a book, but I can write stories. So I started writing my stories. And then when the uh, the um, COVID thing came, I just was sort of stuck in the house, yeah. more normal. And and when I when I lost my family, I left the rest of my family in Michigan. They didn't hear from me for 14 years. I just, they they just thought I deserted them or they didn't know what I was doing. And so I just wanted to write the book to let them know kind of what my life was about. I hadn't deserted them. I yeah. hadn't, I just I had other stuff to do and. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about um, that we didn't get to was how y'all would, um, in the 70s, when y'all were running uh, these cup races all over the country, when y'all take, you have engine trouble, you'd take the motor back to the hotel room and pull it (laughs) apart in the floor of the hotel and rebuild it. I know there's a story in your book about doing that. Oh, what? It, part, it, it, clean, happened, it happened to everybody. But, cleaning parts in the bathtub and yeah, stuff like that. I've been thrown out of it. I remember being thrown out of two motels because we were cleaning <laughs> motor parts in the bathtub. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, some of the things that y'all did by necessity. I, I'm, I'm disenthused about hearing about pit crew people at fl- <laughs> They'd fly in and yeah. change a tire and get money and fly home. <laughs> no, it's a different. We, world. Yeah, I I used to build a car, set the car up, put it in the truck, drive it to the racetrack, race it, change a tire, put it in the truck, drive home, start over again. <laughs> yeah. So we hear about pit road speed. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, my body hurts a lot from that. I've got a big brace on my left knee right now that actually started with Joe Frazone in 1973. Yeah. He didn't take a sledgehammer to that, did he? No, but I whacked him good with an impact wrench. Boy, y'all and your tools, boy. I'm telling you. <laughs> y'all could, you'll do some damage. Did he have it coming? Well, yeah, he hit me on pit road. I jumped out in front of him, and he hit me, and he hit me in the right leg, but I was standing on my left leg. And it, I'm with, that might have been the worst I thought it dislocated my whole leg. I mean, I just, because I fell down, but where I fell down was right pretty close to the front of the car. Well, I took that air hose and flung it in the window and hit him in the helmet and then, <laughs> and then you know, drug it back out and changed yeah. the tire. But after I changed the tire, I couldn't, I couldn't stand up. So I threw the air hose out and he left and they picked me up and brought me over the wall. It looked to me like my left leg was just broken. And somebody came up and I, I st- I hesitate to tell you this a little bit because I don't know exactly who this was, but somebody came up and said, let me look at that thing. He looked at it and felt it and, you know, it hurt. 
So he, but he said, I'll be right back. He had a uniform on. It wasn't a race uniform, but he didn't bring nobody back with him. They laid me on the ground, had somebody get, put pressure on the tops of both my knees. He had two two-by-fours about that long. That guy put one of them two-by-fours between my two legs, took that other two-by-four on the outside of my left leg and hit it with a hammer and knocked my kneecap back in place. Dang it wasn't much. my whole leg. It just yeah. was a kneecap, but like, what you, know, you couldn't you couldn't walk on it. But. And I, I sort of let it go. You know, it kind of got bad from there. Bobby Dam. Dang, animals. Some crazy yeah. stories. <laughs> Will, um, it's been a lot of fun, old man. People. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, people. Yeah. I appreciate you coming today. I, I can't tell you, boys, how much fun I've had. I, I enjoy watching you on TV. So. Yeah, well, we enjoy doing it. There's a lot of guys in our sport that have these, uh, you know, these sort of wild, interwoven sort of histories. And you've been, you know, you're kind of one of the, one of the old guard. Uh, and you've you've seen a lot, made a lot, done a lot, worked with a lot of different people. You've got some great stories. It's all right here in this book. If you want to learn more about Will and, and uh, hear some of the stories that we didn't get to on this podcast, you'll want to definitely pick that up. I was a NASCAR redneck, and um, you'll be a pre- you'll 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 enjoy it, Mike. You read it this past week. Not only did I read it, but like wow. I could, I was enamored by it just from page one. He has a disclaimer. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the book, I mean, it's. A, I'm going to summarize it just because I think if I read this, people will be like, "Okay, that's a book I must read." I make no apologies for the content. You know, I cannot alter my life's experiences to fit your, everyone else's narratives or expe- expectations. Some of my memories are shrouded in depth and darkness; others in mysterious complexity. So I make no attempt at absolute accuracy, nor do I try to be politically correct. And and you go on. I'm telling you, I'm. I'm I'm hooked right there. You talk about Humpy yeah. Wheeler's hooks. I mean, I got to turn it to page two after that. <laughs> so uh, you, anybody that puts a disclaimer in the front of their book and it goes on, um, I tell you what, you just you put it all out on the table in this book. You got your stories. You don't make no apologies. It's not going to be for everybody sometimes, but this is how you lived it, and this is what you remember. And I I got to appreciate that about anybody that does that. Oh, so well, thank you. Thank and you. it's a great it's a good racing book. I, I appreciate that you took the time to read it, both of you. So, well, we appreciate you, man. Thanks uh, for coming in today and and getting over here. And uh, I guess you're headed back to South Carolina. Yes, sir. I'm gonna stop at the Waffle House. All right. <laughs> well, have a great day. People are gonna really appreciate hearing your story. And and uh, thanks again. Thanks for. Uh, everything you did for my dad um, and thanks for sharing what memories you have of me being a part of any of that because that's really special for me because those are memories I don't have anymore but we we appreciate you I appreciate you guys thank you yes sir Will Cronkite on the Dell Jr. Download all right we are live all right, folks, here we go. Leah has all the great questions that you guys have sent to Xfinity Racing on Twitter. So let's get started, Leah. Our first one coming from Michael Shannon Krause. What was your best off-week adventure? Did you have any adventures? Yeah, driving home. Um, from the We went on vacation and uh, had about a three-and-a-half-hour drive with my daughter, Isla, and uh, Gus, and we drove home last night. We had two bathroom breaks in the trip, which is always eventful. But it went well, and I got home in time, just in time to get Isla right out of the uh, out of the car and into bed. It sounds like the most simple thing in the world, uh, you know, a dad driving his daughter home. But man, when you get 
when you do that, Mike, do you not like feel like you've just accomplished, uh, like you've you won the bronze in an Olympic event? I'd go bit bigger medal than that. Bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't gonna go gold, but um, go gold, man. Um, it's an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love doing dad things, like picking her up from school, taking her to school. I mean, I I, I know that's the things people do every single day, but uh, man, it feels good. You're like, yeah, success. <laughs> I don't know, and the fact that she even wanted to go, so she was she she could have she could have stayed with Amy, where uh, Amy's got a couple more days on vacation. So, but she's like, no, I want to go home with you. So, pretty cool. Next question from Blake McCandless: Is there a difference in your preparation for Watkins Glen as a broadcaster since you will be doing radio style instead of being in the booth? Great question, Blake. Blake is a uh, aspiring pit reporter. I know Matthew, uh, his brother Bob, does some some TV work, so maybe they could hire bring Blake in for a little yeah, bit of here you go. practice, uh, get him some reps. Uh, at some of these short tracks. But um, I think the only thing that I could do that might help me is just to listen to last year's race, uh, maybe listen to a little bit of MRN radio, some old, you know, some something, some content from the last, you know, several months. Listen for the energy. It's going to be a little bit different doing it radio style. The energy is a lot higher. And listen to a lot of the ways that the, the guys hand, hand it off to each other. So Imagine radio style as like passing a baton around the racetrack to each announcer. And so um, it's pretty uh, easy to understand when it's your turn to start talking. And then you've got a, the hard part is trying to find a place to stop talking that sounds natural and hand it off to the next guy. And uh, not say the same thing over and over again. Not repeat yourself over and over again when you're tossing it. So I'll be picking it up from bags and giving it to Jeff Burton. And so trying to be creative and do that differently every time is is probably the biggest challenge. Probably do me a it probably do me a service to to listen to a little bit of the last couple of years there at the Glen and just listen to a couple of things we did and what I liked about it and didn't like about it. And um, that'd be a good way to get ready. It's gonna be weird because I don't think we've ever done radio style. Maybe we have, but it feels like we haven't done it without practice or some sort of. You know, I'm not I'm not sure I'm doing the Xfinity race. I think Parker. Klingerman might be doing the Xfinity race to jump up in that perch and just green flag fire off. Here you go. I don't know. I like to do radio style. You like to get a little bit of practice. So maybe I could sit in there, uh, sit at the house watching it on TV and practice <laughs> in my own living room. Next question from Eric Curry. Given that you started to like road course racing late in your career, which one was your favorite to run and which track that you never ran you wish you had the chance to? I enjoyed uh, the Glen quite a bit because you had a turn straight away turn straight away i mean there it was a lot more it was a lot easier than the and then sonoma sonoma you you just turn after turn after turn and at road courses especially like sonoma that have so many turns one after the other if you mess up the first one it kind of messes up all the rest you never you know once you kind of get offline in one corner it it hurts the entrance to the next all that just kind of starts dominoing into uh, a series of corners that are just really bad and you can you know you, you if you have a bad corner on one side of the track it's going to hurt the whole lap and uh, so that was always frustrating at at uh, Sonoma because I never really thought of stock cars as as road racing vehicles you know they don't go left and right they don't change direction really well now they're getting they've gotten a lot better over the years as technology's changed but and certainly this new car is going to run the road courses a whole lot better but the Glen was just always kind of fun because you you had a simple you know 
you attacked each corner individually, and if you screwed up that corner, you had a chance of getting on the next straightaway to sort it, you know, to to regroup and 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 start new. But uh, I never really had road courses that I thought, man, I really wish we could run there, or wish I could run there. I never was a massive fan of running road courses and stock cars, so I kind of I can't can't say there's one that I wish I'd have had a chance to to race on, but. I did drive around Mount Panorama um, in Australia, and to me, that is probably the most impressive road course that I can think of. Um, I think it'd be interesting to watch a cup race there, see our cup cars compete on that track, and just I just have a tremendous amount of respect for dif- the difficulty of that place and how dangerous it is and how brave the drivers are to, to go around it. Next question from Brian Adams. What immediate impact do you think Brad Kozlowski's new influence over at Roush Fenway will have? You know, I think it'll it'll do some great things. Brad's going to Roush. They've struggled to compete with where Brad is currently at Penske. I think that kind of continues. So when Brad goes to Roush, you know, that, that things just aren't going to turn around immediately. I could be wrong, and I, I hope that I am wrong. I hope that, you know, they, they, they get – everything out of that deal they want right away but I think it'll be a process to improve cars and you know get things better and get that organization where they where they used to be but I think Brad can do it I think Brad can get them there but I don't know if it happens right away so I would not be surprised to see the performance stay relatively where it is now with a few glimpses of the future mixed in right you're going to have those moments where you're going to see Brad overachieve in those cars in the first year, and then that's that's kind of what the potential is for them in the future. I expect it to kind of go that way, but I think Brad, you know, knowing his knowledge and approach and what he what he's trying to do and where he is in his life, this is a great opportunity for him, a great new challenge that he's excited about and and thrilled to dive right into, and uh, and I think it'll be good for Roush. A lot of the older owners in this sport, don't have a plan B or don't have a succession plan, right? Think about it. You know, what, what, what's going to happen uh, to several of these teams when the owners age out and retire or, or you know, we got you, you, new young owners coming into the sport, which is great, like Denny and so forth. But um, so at Roush, what was the follow-up plan once Jack – uh, can't do this anymore, can't physically be there and, you know, be involved. So uh, I think having a, a guy, a face like Brad Kozlowski is a great idea for, for an organization like Roush to continue their legacy. So that'll be pretty uh, pretty interesting to see, uh, you know, what happens over the next decade for him and that, that team. Next question from Cole Curry. Do teams own the rights to particular numbers or how does that whole thing work? Yeah, the owners – own the numbers so the owners the drivers don't own the numbers if a driver leaves a team the numbers belongs to the uh to the car owner so it stays there now there's been times when you can buy a, a, a you know just like you hear about these guys in in football or baseball where they might go to the teammate and buy the number so that's happened before dad bought uh the number eight from the stavola brothers in 2000 or 1999 so that I could use it in the cup series. And I think we paid about a hundred grand, 150 grand or something like that for it. And, uh, when we wanted to do the 88, Robert Yates had that number and we, uh, basically I was going to, the 28 wasn't being used. 
And so we went to Robert Yates and said, hey, we're gonna, we'd like to have the 88. If you don't want to you know, turn it over, we're going to use the 28 um, instead. And we wanted you to know because the 28 was so synonymous with Robert uh, Yates and Davey Allison. And, and uh, so the Yates guys came back to us and said, well, we'd rather you all not use the 28. And we've talked to Haveline too. And ta- I didn't even know Haveline still had any – any uh, emotions about it, but they didn't want it used either in the Cup Series. So even after all these years, they didn't want the 28 back out there. So they gave us the 88, hmm. and that's what we that's what we went with. If in case we could not get the 88 or the 28 for whatever reason, we were thinking 81. That was an option because <laughs> mm. I'd ran the 81 in the Xfinity Series a couple times. <laughs> Anyways, we had some different mock-ups going on. All right, one more question from Brian Ramey. What was the deal with your skeleton driving gloves? Um, were they a sponsor, or was that just your preference? Uh, I was watching uh, motocross, and uh, I think one of the riders was wearing those gloves. And uh, I just thought, man, that's cool. He stands out. Now I'm instantly curious as to who this guy is and want to watch and see how he does in this race. And I thought those gloves had a, that 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 big of an impact, um, I think. I'll start wearing them myself. So, uh, you know, every dry. I never did the helmet thing. Like, I, that's not true. I, I, I started out doing, uh, you know, sending my helmets off and getting all these crazy paints and designs on them. So I'm doing that. I was at a racetrack, and I was sitting next to another driver that I won't name, and he sets his helmet on the pit wall, and a fan walked up and bumped it off pit wall, and it fell to the ground, and the driver uh, was ticked off and said something to the fan. And in that moment, I thought, man, I don't want to ever care that much about my helmet, so much so that I'm not wanting it to get scratched or worried about it getting knocked off the, you know, dropped in the car or banged up or tore, right? I'm just not even going to do that. And so that's why I went to the black helmet, and I did let uh, Nick paint a little skeleton on, you know, something funny on the back. But otherwise, I didn't go all out. We had pretty much the same thing every year. I'd tell Nick Pasteur to paint whatever he wants on the back. I don't care. But otherwise, the helmets are pretty plain. So I went with the gloves to do my thing instead of the paint scheme on my helmet. That was that was more fun for me. All right. That's it for me. The other thing, too. Sorry. You're okay. Plus, when you're watching a guy race, right, and you're looking – when you're watching a car go around the track or watching on TV um, – Always was really fun when a driver wore white gloves yeah. because you could see his hands moving. Yeah. And now with most of the drivers wearing a dark colored gloves, it's harder to see their hands and what their hands are doing. Uh, obviously, we can go with an in-car camera and see, but if you're watching them come around the track from, from outside the car, uh, and I didn't know if those skeleton gloves help <laughs> you kind of see uh, what my hands were doing. Yeah. I don't know. thought that was kind of... It, it did. Yeah, I thought so too. All right, well... That's some great questions, Aaliyah. Good job. Hey, good job to the fans. <laughs> I just read them. Yeah. <laughs> well, that one went a little bit longer than normal. I like that. We got a couple extra questions in there, I suppose. Did we? Yeah, dude. I mean, like, yeah. that's what you like, right? You, yeah. just, you wish you could go all day show. with this thing. I think it'd be fun to do a whole show. Maybe that's something that we could do in there during our winter break. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Is oh, yeah. doing a, a, just an Ask Junior. They yeah. Catch up with everybody. Yeah. So they go by fast, though. You yeah. know, they do go by fast, just like Xfinity X5. Xfinity X5 is more than fast, though, Mike. It's reliable and powerful. And that means everybody gets to do more of what they love with that faster internet. 
Preach it, Dale. You and your crew can stay connected with Wi-Fi coverage that delivers the speed that all of your devices need. Remember, everyone, keep the questions coming to Preacher Dale by sending them to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. The funny thing is, is Mike's the real preacher. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Actually, I'm ordained, too, so technically. Oh. Anybody can get ordained these days, apparently. <laughs> well, before... Hey, you're ordained and you're ordained. Before we put a bow on this, let's give a big thank you to Xfinity. They do a lot for the sport, and they do a lot for this podcast. Proud premier partner of NASCAR. That's a lot of peas. Peas. Pretty proud premier. Yep. <laughs> last call. All right, last call. Episode 351. Isn't that a Ford? What is a 351? Should we have skipped this episode then? <laughs> no. But is, Isn't it? Didn't yeah, Ford make 351 a 351 was uh, Ford's. Uh, uh, Did they do that just because the Chevy had the 350? Maybe they wanted to be one better. One better. But no. Well, let's give a shout out to Josh Berry. Yeah. The late model uh, program for Junior Motorsports, the winners. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, he won uh, the Hampton Heat which is an event at Langley Speedway. And then this past weekend, he went to Hickory and won the Cars Tour throwback race, which is uh, two big, two big wins. Everybody took a break except Josh. He kept on kicking ass. He's a racer. Yeah. I mean, I watched that Hickory race. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch the Langley deal because we were doing something with the uh, Olympics, but... Uh, the Hickory race was amazing. Was it? Yeah. Did oh, he wax I mean, him? I've never seen a bad race at Hickory. I don't know what it is about that place. Even oh. when they, even when somebody can win by straightaway, just watching a race at Hickory just feels right. Did I see this right? That iRacing is going to add Hickory to the uh, yeah to the portfolio. I, and that was one of the first tracks that I signed. Oh, yeah. It's a little something special there. Yeah, I was, I've been working on that contract for a long time, and it took a lot of phone calls. And uh, I think it's going to be a good benefit to the. The racetrack, listen to this. And I've had a time. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to get um, Bob Dillner, Matthew's brother, to sign up with Winchester for iRacing. Yep, Indiana. And uh, he, you know, it's it's a it's a conversation. Every time, it's it's like, hey, Bob, have you signed a contract yet? No, it's on the desk. I'm going in the office tomorrow. I'm going <laughs> to do it tomorrow. And it's like every day. I'm like, hey, did you get that done? He's like, no, I forgot. <laughs> I did, 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 did. And so uh, – I brought Matthew into the conversation. I didn't know if Matthew had any leverage. Um, to, to, I've got to, some pictures that could be leveraged. Okay, if you want. well, that's what we need. So, uh, anyhow, to to my point with Bob to sign to be eager to sign, I said uh, I got a text message after. So after uh, I'm, I announced the uh, Hickory release, I got mm-hmm. a text message from a guy who. Is so excited about this Hickory release from iRacing because he, when he heard it was getting scanned, went to the track and bought a billboard. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So the think about that if you're the track owner. Yeah. Right? Trying to sell right. billboards. Have right. you had anybody come to you to buy a billboard? Well, he it, but probably, probably not. not. Yeah, you're not probably lately. out there you're probably out there shopping your billboards. Hey, Maybe. Man, yeah. How much would you like to spend to be on this billboard? Right. Well, he had guys coming to him. Coming to Hickory to buy billboards because it's getting scanned to oh, live no. in so cool. uh, live in the virtual world. And so I told Bob that. I said, hey, man, if you're having trouble signing and selling your billboards, have no fear. Yeah. Get this thing, get this, you know, we'll get you on the calendar to get scanned and those billboards go flying out the. And his response was, well, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'm going to get to it tomorrow. 
<laughs> All right. So Tell you, we'll break out those pictures. Door bumper clear. After a few weeks of uh, getting massages and uh, going to the uh, beauty parlor <laughs> and uh, getting their nails done and, and all those good things. All those things that spotters do. Yeah. The door bumper clear spotters are coming back to the room. They're coming back to this table to do the podcast. Finally, you know, our podcast doesn't take multiple weeks off. Nope. We work really hard nope. to keep the podcasts coming. Yep. Even during times when we're, you know, maybe on vacation. Yeah. We still got some content for you. But the door bumper clear guys, they just took off. Like the entire month. Yeah. I mean really. No like what, what kind of life is that? It's I mean, bad enough that they just kinda of show up whenever they want for the regular schedule, right? TJ's here one week, not the next, and it's like there's no real genuine excuse. Continuity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'll learn. We're just glad they're coming back. But now, you know, they're kind of getting bumped down the ladder a little bit with this new podcast you got. Glorious. Glorious White Knuckle, yada, 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 thing, the racing podcast. Come on, Mike. know it. Glorious glorious White Knuckle, hard-nosed. Oh, my God. I'm going to get this wrong. You are getting it wrong. Turned over and half spun out. God-fearing, half turned over and spun out. Half racing stories podcast. Yeah. I heard Nailed it. I heard it's going well. It is going. Of course, it's yeah. going well. It's freaking yeah. cool, yeah, dude. This last episode that we put out, everybody, listen. If you've not gone to it, listen to this episode because it's got Buddy Parrot on it, and he's telling oh. the story of the 1990 Daytona 500. Where was it? 1990 yes. with Derek Cope. Derek Cope. What an amazing uh, vantage point that we hear, and talking about the potential for a fight, and he's got. I'm going to take chocolate because he's the biggest and the ugliest. <laughs> they had a plan on fight. Oh my gosh, it's so good, so good. Love that one. All right. Well, we'll have to tune in and listen to that one. All right. Thanks to uh, Will Cronkite for coming in. And uh, I've been wanting him to get on the show for a really long time. We've had his car here on the table for uh, over a year. I've read his book. And now you guys know his story. Have a great week. This bit of badassery was badassery. It was made by badassery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.